beautiful wife. Hello, beautiful husband. And welcome to the recap of book two. Of Curse of, Curse the, Crimson of the Crimson Throne. Throne. I think that worked out very well. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Just like book two of Curse of the Crimson Throne. Could not have well. gone better. Uh, well, maybe could have gone better. No, but no <laughs> conceivable way. There's no conceivable way <laughs> events could have played out any better than they did. Um, I don't know. Maybe if we'd figured out that Devalis was behind everything the whole time. Sorry. This is the point where we have the spoilers. Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm, sorry I'm very sorry. If you are, if you are just joining us uh, for the first time, uh, or possibly coming in after the book one recap because you want to jump in at the start of book three. Uh, well, sorry. That's how this book ended. <laughs> uh, was that Dr. Duvall's was behind everything. However, if you've been listening and you just want like a little bit of a recap, you've come to the right place. What we're going to be doing is we're going to be going over uh, the events of book two of Curse of the Crimson Throne in as fast of a pace as we can while still getting some of the thoughts that we really want to share about how it went. Yeah, I had been writing a version of it that I just sang to the modern major general tune, <laughs> but it got a little bit verbose. So, uh <laughs> amazing. Um now, uh the other the other uh, the other purpose. <laughs> the other purpose of this recap is of course for if uh you want to jump into the show, but you don't want to listen to an entire season's worth of episodes, and I don't blame you. It's Ugh, a lot of audio. So long, and uh, those two, they just keep talking. I do have good news for you. Book three is sort of a soft re restart for the events of Curse of the Crimson Throne. Uh, it does definitely help if you've listened to books one and two, but uh, I think I'm pretty comfortable saying book three is a good jumping in point. Yeah, right? book one and two are sort of their own arc. Yes. Uh, and book three starts sort of a new arc. Yes. Uh, and thankfully, uh, if you really want to jump in, uh, obviously, we love to have you stick around for this recap. Uh, but you can just jump into the start of book three uh, and then just. DM us if you have any questions or listen to the backlog when you have time. Yeah, you don't have to listen to all to this recap. We just put a bunch of hard work into this is you don't have to do it. Paca. We're not making you. <laughs> but if you but if you want to stick around, you bring me great joy. Oh, uh, please help Daph be happy. Daph wants you. Daph wants you to listen to the recap to be happy. Oh, look at her. Anyway. Anyway. So. So book two began with Zalara Esmeralda, the spirit haunting Damien's hero deck, manifesting in Lenore's dining room to deliver a warning in the form of a hero reading. Yes. She drew <laughs> from the suit of shields, which mm -hmm. involves... This is related to constitution. Yes, yes. It is the suit of constitution and bodily protection. Lenore drew the brass dwarf, which... Mm -hmm was indicative of having an immunity to a danger. Um, Unia drew the desert, uh, symbolizing bleak voyages too dangerous to go alone. Damien drew the mountain man, uh, representing a confrontation with physical power outside of your control. And Ophelia drew the survivor, which symbolizes rebirth or a creature that has managed to survive despite others thinking all is lost. Uh, there were nine other cards drawn that, in the interest of time, I won't go into fully, 
Um, but we got a couple highlights. Uh, there were a couple of highlights that were yes. very, very interesting. Uh, in particular, the negative future was the sickness. Yes. The neutral evil card of shields. Which was really important because the sickness actually came up in the book one harrowing too. Yes. Uh, but it was, it was misaligned, I believe. Right. Let me go back and check. Uh, and, uh, so the, the significance of it in book two was that now it was properly aligned and that, uh, suggested that it was, uh, I believe the way I worded it, it was, it's going to do its thing now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and boy, it did its thing. Yes. Uh, uh the, the sickness, uh, in the first book was misaligned up in the neutral good, the, the positive present, mm -hmm. uh, which indicated safe. Uh, safety from sickness. Mm -hmm. um, but now it is in the negative future, uh, indicating that the sickness is about to do its thing. Yes. Um, um, also, also interesting, in the neutral present, the tyrant, uh, a the, the card uh -huh. featuring a blue dragon holding an orb. Right that at is, the center of the array. Yes. Um which uh, symbolizes a parasitic ruler feasting on the blood of its subjects. <laughs> which, given the way that book two uh, turned out in the end, uh, <laughs> is quite appropriate, huh? Um, of course, uh, basically the plot of book two being, if you want the Spark Notes version, is that there is a citywide plague that wipes out uh, a tenth of the population of the city. And at the end, we find out that the cult that has been orchestrating the plague was doing so at the behest of Queen Iliosa, the ruler of Corvosa. Why she was wanted to do this, all of these reasons, we don't know. We History. don't have that much information. But she, we know that the cult leader said she wanted it done. Uh, and one of the things I found really interesting about this is that uh, the, the disease actually has a, uh, a small percentage that Varicians will be immune to it. Uh, and uh, I think it was something like 10 or 5% or something like that. It was like a D20 roll. Yeah. Um, it was a D100 roll. Oh, D100 uh, roll. Oh. Yeah. Oh, uh, damn. And, and um, Lenore ended up being one of the Versians who was immune. Uh, she became <laughs> immune the moment you drew that fucking Brass Dwarf card. <laughs> um uh, let's see. Um, Lenore was is the only member of the party who could have been immune. Yep. Uh, and I didn't know if I wanted her to be immune from the start, but when you drew that fucking brass dwarf card, I was like, Lenore's gonna be immune. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, and um, because I mean, if you look at the just probability of drawing a card, there's a lower chance of drawing that card than there is of rolling immunity to Bloodvale. <laughs> so I was like, all right, nope, that's. You've done the statistics for me. Uh, now, now, uh, now we can just proceed on assuming that you're immune. Excellent, excellent. Uh, and uh, so we had this portentous harrowing, uh, and then we quickly had to get Trinia, who had been accused of uh, being the assassin of King Aedred. Yes. In at the end of uh, book one, uh, we had to get her out of the city, and so we had a brief excursion out to the town of Hars. Uh, where we put Trinia away for safekeeping, hopefully out of the reach of the queen, uh, while other stuff was going on. And At the time, the other stuff that was going on was mostly just this scramble to find the assassin. Yeah. 
But uh, very quickly, it became much more than that. Yes. Uh, and uh, in Hearse, uh, Trinia and Ophelia began a, uh, let's say, a, a casual relationship. Yes. Uh, casual, but very friendly. <laughs> they, 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 had a, they had a very nice time. A nice little fling. Uh, yes. Uh, uh, Trinia gave, uh, uh, gave Ophelia her mithril dagger. Uh, uh, and um, also a wand of day's monster, which we... You know, didn't really didn't have, really use. Yeah, uh, yeah. We, you know, it's okay. It's <laughs> a wand. Si- it's pretty situational. Sa- um, saves on wands are always bad. So yeah, like it's, it's yeah. almost useless to use. But the wand uh, Ophelia does still have that dagger. I believe it is uh, enchanted now. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, and so you returned. You had a uh, wonderful combat in which you almost got killed by a manticore. Uh, a manticore on the way back. Uh, <laughs> that was so scary. I know. That was like, so scary. The the hardest counter to your party turns out to be something that can attack at range from more than 100 feet away. Yeah, yeah, the and big if, range big. Yeah, as long as it can attack from more than 100 feet away, your party couldn't really do anything about it. Yeah, it was pretty tough. Uh, uh, you know, at that level, no no fly spells, nope. no uh, no fireball. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, yes, but you got back to the city. Just barely. Uh, yeah, you're, you're just barely. <laughs> Uh, and uh, things were quiet for a little while. Yeah. Uh, and then you were called on to uh, aid uh, Grau Soldado's uh, family uh, across the river in a little the little town of Trails End. Yes. Uh, um, actually, calling it a distinct town is probably not accurate. It's sort it's, of a, sub- it's a borough. suburb. Yeah, a it's suburb. Yeah, suburb. it's a suburb. Although it doesn't really have, you know, the 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 people are wealthy here sort of connotations no. of a suburb. The uh, it, Trails End is very quiet and kind well, of. Well, it's a suburb in sort of the medieval sense. In in the medieval sense, um, it, the people who were wealthier lived inside the city walls, uh, whereas the people who couldn't afford to live inside the city walls would build up settlements outside yes. where they could get into the city in the in the event of a, of a siege or something. Yes. But they okay. but you know it was easier living, they could farm, they could do stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. Um and so yeah, the It is very much that. The modern American idea of a suburb is actually uh, a development that didn't happen until like the 20th century. Okay. Um, yeah. where before that being near the city um was sort of a way to, you know, save money. That's and, fair. That's yeah. fair. Yeah. Um so yeah, um, after spending a couple of days in the city, um, resting, hearing some rumors, uh, including that uh, there was a ship that had been destroyed in the harbor uh, after refusing to uh, um, acknowledge the demand to stop and be searched, um, Grau Soldado came to Lenore's house uh, and was like, hey, do you remember me? Sorry about that one time that I was a jerk when I was drunk. Uh, and can you come and help my niece? She's sick. Yeah. And so we, so went, we went there. We went there. And boy, was his niece sick. Yeah. Uh, she was really sick. She was really sick. She had taken constitution and charisma damage. Um, there was a priest of Abadar there who didn't really know what was going on and couldn't really heal her without being paid uh, quite a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, money that these guys couldn't afford. Uh, uh, and uh, he didn't even have these spells available at the time mm-hmm. to remove her disease. Yeah. Um. But yeah, she had she had uh fever, rash, uh fatigue, uh coughing, and uh when we got to her, she was losing consciousness as well. Mm-hmm. Um. Um. Which was a result actually of the charisma damage. One uh, of the one of the things that happens when you have zero charisma 
uh, is that you go, uh, I believe it's catatonic. Mm -hmm. uh, and so because she had low charisma when you found her, I had her slipping in and out of consciousness as sort of a clue that she isn't ex uh, able to exert this level of control over her body. Uh, like she doesn't have the force of will to actually okay. uh, control herself. Uh, which was my way of sort of like tipping tipping you off that mm -hmm. it might be a charisma based thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and constitution's easy, you know. Uh, you're yeah. dying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, in case anybody's not familiar, uh, each of the six ability scores has a different uh, has a different uh, result if you if if they're at one or close to zero, right? Uh, so strength, you uh, if your if your strength score goes to uh, zero, you can't move because you literally can't lift your uh, legs or like or you can't lift any of your muscles, uh, and you will actually go unconscious uh, because uh, you just don't have the strength to do anything. Mm -hmm. Dexterity, uh, you become immobile. But I believe you do not lose consciousness mm -hmm. uh, yeah. because you just uh, you don't have the dexterity to move. Uh, yeah. Uh, and constitution, you die yep. because e you have you have no vital essence left. Yep. Uh, intelligence, uh, you are comatose. Mm -hmm. uh, and wisdom, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, wisdom, you are are incapable of rational thought mm -hmm. and unconscious. Uh, meaning that you can't perceive the world in any way. Mm. Uh, and then uh, charisma, you are unconscious because you can't project your force of will outside of your body. Mm -hmm. Meaning somebody who's who has one charisma, you might be able to like go in their head and still interact with them. Mm -hmm. but, but they're they're kind of locked in their own body. Yeah, they're kind of locked in their own body. Yeah, anyway. Anyway. Um, uh, and so... Uh, we quickly found out that uh, the cleric of Abdar didn't really have a way to heal the girl. Yeah, uh, this his name was Shani Daughtry. Yes. Um, he uh, he told us that a couple of other people in the city were sick, um, and that they were calling this illness Blood Veil, um, and that he currently didn't have any. Uh, spells or potions with which to heal the girl, but he did have a healer's kit. Uh, Unia helped uh, with the healer's kit as well, um, and uh, they, you know, treated Bri uh, Brianna, the little girl, and uh, sort of hoped that tomorrow the uh, the family would either be able to pay uh, or we would pay, um, and that, you know, Ashani would be able to actually uh use his magic to help yes uh and uh the next day saw things get a little bit worse um uh brianna was kind of doing okay but she'd taken more damage uh luckily you guys were able to heal most of her damage uh, and then uh and then uh ashani was able to uh get a cure disease off on her now, one of the things that was interesting is that um, Ashani was actually offering to sell a potion of cure disease for 150 gold. And uh, I don't know if you know this, but that's actually way cheaper than a potion of uh, removed disease oh. actually sells for. Um, oh, right. Basically, yeah. basically um, 
Ashani is a cleric of Abadar, Abadar being the god of cities and law and commerce. Uh, and so one of the things that was kind of a point of tension is that he needed them to give him money in order to cast cure disease, right? Uh, now, the reason that they have to go to the Church of Abadar is the Church of Abadar is one of the more powerful churches uh, in Corvosa. Yeah, right? it's actually the, the biggest church in Corvosa with yeah. the exception of the no, Church it, of Asmodeus? No, it, it, it is the biggest church. Oh, okay, okay. It's church right. of Asmodeus and the Church of Parasma are second. All right. Then there's the Church of Sarenray and then uh, the Church of Shellen. Okay, okay. And then you have the Pantheon of the Many that has just clerics of every god. Yeah, all right, all right. Except for like three. Yeah. Um, so if you but, want healing, you should you you probably need to go to the Bank of Abadar. Abadarans are supposed to charge what it exactly says uh, in the inventory rules of Pathfinder <laughs> for everything they do. That's that's a that is a divine mandate. And he was going to sell them a potion of uh, remove disease for a hundred fifty gold. Does which the, is, did they usually go for four hundred fifty? I think they go for six hundred. Six hundred. Uh, let me see. Uh, potions. I know uh, first level spells are 50 gold. Second level spells are 300. Um, uh, a third level cleric spell, remove disease, would be 750 gold. Oh my goodness. So, so he was giving them an extremely hefty yeah. uh, discount. One of the things that, that sort of, uh, if you get into Ashani's background, is that Ashani is actually having a crisis of faith because of the events that are going on in book two. In that, in that he's going... Holy shit, we can't even take care of the city we're supposed to be protecting mm -hmm. because we're demanding money of them. And all of the uh, people who are getting sick are poor. And all the people who are getting sick are poor. Uh, and uh, you quickly uh, were brought in by the Bank of Abadar uh, to sort of help with combating the uh, spread of the disease. One of the things that you guys were finding is that, yeah, the disease is spreading through the lower classes. Yes. Right? Uh, the poor, the lower middle class, these people are not able to afford the magical healing needed yeah. to stop um, Blood Veil. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and so they were like, we need your help in finding out why this is happening. And also uh, mustering the support of uh, the uh, Corvosan Guard, who yeah. you all were familiar with. Yeah. Um, uh, so some of the first people to get sick, not the very first people, but some of the first people to get sick were Abadar and clerics. Yes. Uh, and so the Bank of Abadar wanted us to work with the city uh, to figure out where um, sort of where the disease had started uh, and potentially how it was spreading um, and do what we could to stop it from continuing to spread because magical healing was required to get rid of it. Um, and, you know, um, yeah. Abadarans want to protect the city. Uh, so your contract traced, uh, traced it back to the first case. Uh, that the Church of Abadar was aware of. Yes. Uh, which was at the Three Rings Tavern. Yes. Uh, and which was a delightful little spot. It was like uh, it was like a it was like a Denny's. Like a Denny's. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, it, was, it was it was very very nice. Uh, There's a, a nice I had lady. A lot of fun. A nice lady, uh, very Lynn Belcher esque. Uh, took yes. our order. Uh, we got some. Uh, uh, Verizian sweet bread. We got some little gebbies. No, they were just called gebbies. Gebbies. We got some gebbies, which were uh, sweet pastries from Geb. I mm -hmm. made a joke about them being made by a company called Little Gebby. Uh, the most evil. <laughs> the most evil. Of pastry company. Yes. <laughs> um, and then we talked to the guy. Uh, he was working behind the bar. Um, uh, I think that was Anton. Anton. Yes, yeah. Anton. He was the guy who got sick. He had gone to the Bank of Abadar for healing. Um, 
And he got sick, it turned out, from a guy who had come in the previous day uh, after. um, Oh, no, no, no. He got sick because he went to a pawn shop. Yes. Uh, he went to a pawn shop to get something nice for his wife. And so you went to the pawn and shop. So we went to the and pawn shop. And you found the guy was dead. Yeah, uh, and, and, and we found the pawn shop was closed, and there was a guy named Nuck outside yeah. with a broken pocket watch, coughing all over the place. We were like, "Dude, are you okay?" And he was like, "Yeah, I'm fine." <laughs> was like, and and uh, we found out that he had found a chest of coins down by the waterfront that mm-hmm. he brought to this pawn shop. Sold, uh, used the used them to buy this pocket watch, and he was complaining the pocket watch didn't work. Yeah. Um, and uh, then he died. Yeah, he you died. Found that the shopkeeper was dead. Yep, Ophelia. And we're like, oh shit, we we've found out uh yeah. where this kind of started. Yeah, Ophelia snuck into the pawn shop while everyone else went to the waterfront. Um, okay, okay, and uh, we went to the waterfront. We found an. A chest with skulls all over it. Yep. Uh, and uh, we took it to um, we took it to Cressida. Yes. Uh, you took it to Cressida to be like, what the fuck is the deal with this thing? Uh, and excuse me. Uh, hold on. Uh, let me see. Actually, I think I don't. You didn't. So you didn't take the thing to Cressida first. The first thing that you did was you actually went to Citadel Volshynik with uh, Ashani Daughtry to set up communication between the Bank of Abadar and the Corvosan Guard. Because uh, when you got to the, when you got to the uh, Citadel for the first time, uh, they were having the uh, Queen's physicians introduced as people that were going to be going around and uh, inspecting, uh, inspecting the town and trying to like find a cure. Uh, And this was importantly, the place where we met everybody's, Favorite new character of book two, <laughs> Doctor Devalis. Goodness, uh, the Nicholas Cage esque character who dogged you for uh, uh, the entire book. Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, and oh my god, yeah, what a character! Uh, indeed, uh, he and the um, Queen's physicians also had carte blanche to go into anyone's house if they yes. suspected that person of either having blood veil or harboring somebody who had blood veil. Yeah. I'm sure this is never going to become a problem ever. Nope. <laughs> and so, and so, while you guys were introduced uh, to these to these people, uh, you guys found the uh, you guys found the uh, chest and brought it for Doctor Devalis to investigate. And so. This is one of the important times where Dr. Duvalis said that he was going to take it back to his lab <laughs> and didn't actually analysis. <laughs> didn't actually analyze anything. And um, th- this was a thing that uh, I didn't end up using. But one of the ideas that I originally had was that when you got to Dr. Duvalis's lab in uh, in the Hospice of the Blessed Maiden, you would find all of this evidence that you'd been giving him to help uh, to help do your analysis just stuffed in a locker (laughs) having never been touched. Uh, (laughs) I didn't end up doing it because we had a lot to go through. There was a lot going on. Uh, And, but, but it was, it was very fun meeting Dr. Duvalis. It was very fun playing Dr. Duvalis. And you guys quickly formed like a little council that would, uh, that would help find uh, points of interest in the treating of the disease. Yes. Uh, the first of which was uh, the shipwreck yes. that was sort of offhandly mentioned 
when you guys got back to town. Yeah, it turned out it had plague lanterns on. Yeah. Uh, and they were like, oh, well, I mean, if a plague started uh, near the waterfront, that's mm -hmm. probably where. You should go check it out. Yes. And so you went there sort of with the uh, anticipation that uh, this was the the point where Bloodvale started. Mm -hmm. And you went down uh, and you searched the ship. There were some very angry eels. Yes, some very oh, angry eels. I, I do have to say, I, I really loved voicing the eels. <laughs> One of my favorite things to do as a GM is to voice animals because animals all have an intelligence of two. So they're really dumb. Um, but I like to give them these personalities that are uh, yes. sort of, I think, descriptive of the way that those animals behave in general <laughs> yes. in general times uh, the animals of course being given the opportunity to speak because ophelia revealed that she had the ability to speak to aquatic animals yes uh yeah there were quite a few revelations down there with ophelia. <laughs> so you talk you talk to these eels and the mm. eels were uh, as i imagine eels to be quite belligerent quite territorial <laughs> uh, and they like their little places where nobody yes. can eat them yeah fuck off, yeah, fuck off. <laughs> uh, and so the eels, uh, the eels got in a fight with you. Uh, Ophelia revealed that she could speak to eels, and then we got Sharky, Sharky Revenge. Sharky to Sharky Revenge. Uh, so, if you'll recall, way back in what was it, session two? Yeah, session two or session two. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you guys found a shark uh, under the water and murdered the fuck out of it. One shot it, I believe. <laughs> yes, before it ever got to do anything to you. And so this was the moment where. Uh, another shark got to come after you. Or maybe it's the same shark. Maybe uh, it's the same shark back for revenge, having been healed by an evil hag. Uh, Ophelia asked the shark to stop, told the shark we could get it more food, and it was like, for Ivica! And we're like, Ivica? Who's Ivica? And the shark attacked us. Uh, and a uh, sea hag came out. A sea hag named Ivica. Uh, yes. uh, recognized Ophelia um, by the scent of mermaid. Uh <laughs> Revealing that Ophelia is a merfolk. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and um, uh, which curse, was... cur she cursed Lenore uh, to make Lenore permanently staggered. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we killed her. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, explored the rest of the ship. Managed to find the one room with something in it, which was a dude's bedroom. Uh, yes. With a drowned dude net with his tongue cut out and a footlocker, which we brought to the surface, opened up and found some very Ergothoan stuff in it. Uh, including a holy book of Ergothoa, uh, which upon opening it, we realized had all instances of the name Ergothoa crossed out and replaced with the name Andason. Yes. Uh, I, I really, I really love this whole vignette as just a, uh, as just a way of, I mean, the, the purpose of this, uh, in, in the grand master plan, right. Uh, was that Devalis was sending you guys here to die. Yeah. Right? Like, um, basically, in the uh, in the evil council that was happening uh, <laughs> at at midnight and noon, uh, what they did was was they 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 had looked at how you guys had had an impact on the city in book one. And they went like, okay, if we're gonna take out this entire city, we gotta get rid of these people first. Yep. And so uh, they worked together and uh, tried to find any dirt that they had. And Rolf Lamb is, was actually part of the evil council. And Rolf Lamb knew that Ophelia had made an enemy of these hags. And so uh, he went, hey, can we just call in uh, this hag from the sea to kill them while they're <laughs> underwater? Because they can't fight well underwater. Yeah. Uh, so we'll just send them down there for whatever reason. 
And Devalis was like, okay, great. Uh, well, um, we did pretend that the we did pretend that the uh, disease was coming in by ship. Mm. So I'll just send them to the shipwreck to investigate, and you have uh, your friend Ivica ambush them yep. while they're down there. Yep. Uh, and it uh, almost worked. Yeah, we. Like, uh, you guys got yeah, fucked up. Yeah, we did. Uh, if we hadn't uh, bought supplies before we went down, including uh, some things, some weapons that worked better underwater, uh, some goggles and some kicky flippers, uh, <laughs> she'd have kicked her asses. Uh, <laughs> she would have. Uh, and uh, I really like Ivica. Uh, Ivica uh, is the first little hint at Ophelia's backstory stuff mm -hmm. that we've been able to get in. Uh, there'll be more on that later. Um, uh, Ophelia famously, uh, ran away from home, uh, and came to Corvosa. Uh, and this was the point where we learned that the home that she ran away from was actually underwater. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that she was a merfolk, uh, who had fled a merfolk society in Conqueror's Bay that was like super xenophobic. And she left because she, uh, didn't want to be part of that. She wanted to be where the people are. Yep. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's just a really grim, dark little mermaid. <laughs> uh, and, but you kicked Ivica's ass and you yep. came back to the surface, uh, having found all this information and having found that there was no sign of any plague stuff yep. on the ship. The direction was a distraction. It was a misdirection. A mist. God fucking damn it. <laughs> anyway. Um, uh... And... So then you took a little bit of, you had a couple episodes where you were sort of uh, processing this information. Attacking libraries find, for massive knowledge. Trying to find more information. There was a beautiful little play date where Kester uh, got to meet um, Brianna. Brianna. It was really cute. Yeah. And, and the idea being that you wanted Kester to read Brianna's mind mm. because as a doppelganger, he has detect thoughts. Uh, and you were doing this because you wanted to find out where Brianna found the coins yes and it took a little bit of doing mm -hmm. but eventually you found out that she also found a chest in in town uh-huh uh that that seemed to be the same as the chest that the one guy found mm -hmm. which sort of lended credence to this idea that these chests were the source of the disease yep uh, uh but i believe we were still working on the assumption that these chests had come from the boat yeah that that's that some that they had been on the boat with people and people had taken them off the boat mm -hmm. and put them on the shore. Um, um, we, I had a hypothesis by uh, previous to this, that the um, disease was being spread by coins that had been in the boxes. Yes. And that's uh, why and the Abadarans yeah, got it first. And this was then confirmed by uh, Brianna uh, saying she found coins and she went to North point and spent them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, among other things, uh, Ophelia did a little thing with blackjack. That was fun. Um, and we rescued a uh, was, pseudo dragon who became Damien's familiar. There was, there was a great thing that if I had known this was going to happen, it would have been an intercut where um, where it was that you guys found out you had blinding sickness. Yes. Uh, and uh, and you you uh, you took a few extra precautions when you first found out you had it. Um, but then you found out that it's only passed through ingestion. So the only way you would pass it on to another person <laughs> is by ingesting their bodily fluids. And as you guys were, as as the as Lenore, Damien, and Unia were finding this out, uh, Ophelia was getting information by going to a brothel. Yes, and, and uh, seducing a and, well, well pay, being seduced paying by a, paying a uh, paying a prostitute uh, to get a room uh, from which. She could case the joint uh, 
on Eel's end. She tried to make a fort save to remain focused, which she failed. Didn't work. I spent a hero point to roll again, so, and she still failed. So it. I was. Uh, so I made a joke of: Do any of you have significant others from whom you would be ingesting fluids, no! uh, or who would be ingesting your fluids? And I, I made the joke as nobody here does. But then Ophelia went and. <laughs> Thankfully, Ophelia wasn't sick. Ophelia wasn't sick. She was fine. Uh, so the so the. Uh, so the, That'd be an awkward conversation to have to go back and have with the Temple of Calistria. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> uh, don't worry. The Temple of Calistria is probably used to this sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, but they were probably also strained a bit yeah. uh, in their resource use. Mm-hmm. Uh, because yeah. they you know, they have to have their third level spell slots to hold off Blood Veil as well. We got blinding sickness because the Jakari River's full of drank poop. poop water. <laughs> Which uh, is just so gross. That's really gross. <laughs> Um, but, but yeah, we did. You rescued the pseudo dragon. Yes, we rescued the pseudo dragon. House Drake. House Drake. House Drake. Rescued the pseudo house dragons Drake. are the original creature. House Drake is a variant. Yes. Yes. Uh, we uh, went back to Trails End. We got information from Brianna, and we decided um, that in addition to that, we would uh, go and take some of the things that we found, um, including a finger of the dead guy, uh, to Erica, uh, an occultist. Uh, who did object reading oh, to right. figure out what yeah. the whole deal was. Um, she looked at the book. Uh, she figured out that this guy uh, was lusting after Andesen and did this as some sort of big grand gesture. Um, I will serve as your distraction so that you can take over, so you can infect the city because I love you and I worship you. Yeah. Uh, and um, wh- when we were uh, done with that, uh, we heard something on the roof. And we went outside and somebody dressed as a queen's physician ran off across the rooftops. So before we get into the mysterious flying queen's physician that was sort of following you guys around, Mm. I do want to talk a little bit about Erica. I love Uh, Erica. Yeah. Both her inclusions in book one and here, Uh, you know, like on the surface, of course, the easy thing is, you know, I wanted a cool way to have a, a coroner. You know, very much in the NCIS or CSI (laughs) uh, style where you have this odd coroner who has their own idiosyncrasies. (laughs) It's sort of the thing that they always do. Idiosyncrasies. We'll we'll call them that. Uh, (laughs) But one of the important things to me in this book was uh, having uh, Erica be present as an Ergothoan. Like, she's a true neutral Ergothoan. Yeah, that's... um, Who could give more information about some of this evidence that you were bringing to mm-hmm. her um, with the reverence of somebody who actually worships this deity. Yeah. But yeah. Um, <laughs> but from a non-evil perspective. One of the things that I liked was uh, she was looking at the holy book uh, of Ergothoa, the holy text, uh, and sort of admiring the descriptions of the disgusting and yeah. horrendous rituals that took place. And like, oh, Harold, don't you remember those times that we would go and eat people? And it's just like, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, and um, and it, it was it was very fun to me to sort of give these differing takes on Ergothoan worship. Mm-hmm. Um, Ergothoa being just really a fucking really, piece of work, really awful. Um, but interestingly, it is possible to be true neutral, uh, at least in first edition Pathfinder, <laughs> uh, and still worship uh, Ergothoa. I believe mm-hmm. in second edition, it's only neutral evil and chaotic evil uh. that, that can get spells from. Uh, actually, let me check that. Well, I mean, she never got spells from Ergotho. She's an occultist. Um, 
yeah but but the idea being that um like the the people that venerate these deities yeah, yeah. are usually locked into uh, a set number of alignments that's, oh, yeah. that's fair that's fair in yeah. tui it's lawful evil neutral evil and chaotic evil. Oh, okay, so any okay. Evil. just all right all right yeah uh, but you can't be true neutral you can't be true though. neutral anymore Ergothoa got tired of your milk toast ways. <laughs> um, but yeah, this was interrupted by uh, a flying queen physician. Mm-hmm. We had a little chase sequence. <laughs> Very little. Very little. <laughs> it, it, went, it turns out that when you try to chase somebody over the rooftops and they can fly. It's they, hard. They get away pretty quick. <laughs> and you were you were really bummed out by that. I was. And I like I, I like the chase sequence cards and I only got to the second I, card. I felt so bad because the only way you would have been able to catch the queen's position here was if you passed every check and did a full round action to catch up and grab them. Yeah. Because they were, they were navigating some, some obstacles on their way to flying away. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if you had gotten them in the first round, you would have gotten them. But the intention, <sighs> the intention here as a GM was not for you to catch them. Yeah. The intention here was for you, for you to find out that you were being followed by a flying queen's position. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I felt bad. <laughs> Because, but you, know, you didn't I, feel that bad. I did feel pretty bad, actually, because <laughs> okay. you were really sad. I was really sad. Um, and I don't want you to be sad. You know, Aww. like you. I think the reason that you were sad is that you that you thought that this person getting away was some huge failure on your part. Mm-hmm. When from a narrative perspective, it's just to set up that there's somebody flying and following you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, also to set up that not all the queen's physicians are meant to be trusted. <laughs> which, of course, was leading into... Don't trust any of the queen's physicians. <laughs> but, we, but I had to plant the seeds early of not trusting queen's physicians mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so that you would start questioning them. Yes, yes. Uh, and uh, it worked pretty well. Yeah. Uh, you, uh, you, followed, you followed that guy, yeah. not knowing who he was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the, I believe the next day was when the bridges got burned. Um, mis- actually, we went, to, we went to the Gray District uh, mm-hmm. first, uh, to do more attacking the library for massive knowledge with Dr. Duvalis. Uh, and then we ran into a oh, bunch of, did. we ran into then. a bunch of ghouls and Duvalis was like, sorry, I'm really scared of undead. I'm not going to be part of this fight. And then the flying queen's physician showed up again. Yes. <laughs> and we oh, were gosh. like, and oh, we were like, Hey dude, uh, is this to- one of yours? Hold on. We totally had those out of order with, with, uh, the Kester thing. The Kester, Kester going on the play date happened between, uh, the first time that you encounter the flying physician edition ah. uh, and the second. Yeah. Uh, the, I mean, that whole that whole time was like, it's like the, the little wibbly wobbly timey. Oh, wimey. and you met, and you met Damien's uh, brother. During yes. That time. Yes. Yeah. Uh, sorry. So you met the, you met the queen's. It was you, a lot you met of the running. Gr- sorry. You met the, you met the flying queen's physician. Uh-huh. You, uh, you then, uh, he got away. Uh-huh. Uh, you went to Trails End again to get more information from, Brianna. Mm-hmm. And then you went and met Kester's brother, who was played by Jack Black. <laughs> Very lovable. Uh, uh, oh gosh, I, I really liked showing this uh, difference between uh, Damien and his twin brother. That was something that I was excited about bringing to the character. Um, it, one of the things in Pathfinder that I don't know, isn't it's, it's not in later Pathfinder uh, source books, but it's in the first source book for tieflings mm-hmm. is that tieflings live a really long time. Yeah. Uh, and so I was like, you know, tieflings can also become tieflings by like being cursed and stuff. And so I was like, well, what if there were twins and there was, you know, 
and one of them got cursed and the other didn't. I believe we haven't really gotten into the nature of the curse. No, um, not yet. Uh, but basically the idea is that uh, the this person's, uh, your, your, your parents' mm -hmm. firstborn was cursed. Yes. Uh, uh, and so Damien was the firstborn and uh, that that cursed Damien to be a tiefling, mm -hmm. which ironically made tief made uh, Damien age super slow. And mm -hmm. so Damien was sort of the baby of, yes. of the uh, of the two of them. Yeah. And so Damien uh, is like just coming into adulthood now and his twin brother is an old man. Mm -hmm. And yeah, then you uh, went to the gray district uh, and uh, and you you had another uh, lovely encounter with the Flying Queen's physician. Mm-hmm. And this one, this one, uh, I'll be honest, this was, this was a little bit of a fuck up on design on my part <laughs> in that I created a scenario where um, the intent of the fight mm -hmm. was that you had to pick a side. Mm -hmm. You had to either go after the Queen's physician or you had to go after the ghouls. But what ended up happening <laughs> was you stayed in the middle and got fucked up by them. We kind of tried to fight both and we almost died. Yeah, you you, you stayed in the middle uh, and uh, basically I had an endlessly spawning ghoul warren on one side. <laughs> the idea being that if you went over the if you went over this wall that you couldn't see over, mm. you would see that there was an opening into a ghoul warren that was going to endlessly pour ghouls out until you <laughs> closed the entrance. Or you could go and try to uh, gang up on the queen's physician uh, and take him down. Mm -hmm. uh, what ended up happening was you <laughs> sat in the middle while ghouls endlessly climbed over the wall and the queen's physician spam spells at you from the air. Yeah, we're sitting here going, maybe the ghouls will stop eventually. <laughs> yeah, And so really, really what I probably should have done is I probably should have given you visibility to the opening so you could see that this opening was going to continuously endlessly spawn out ghouls. Like if I had just shown, if I had at least like given you a viewpoint where you could see down into the hole and see that there are hundreds of ghouls coming up out of this one <laughs> that you would have known to collapse the tunnel. Uh, uh. Um, but it ended up, you guys got really fucked up by some <laughs> low level enemies there. Because there were they kept so spawning. many. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Eventually, eventually, the I had the queen's position run. Yeah, and then Damien uh, used major image to make a wall, uh, and the ghouls were like, "Oh, there's a wall here. Ghouls I guess dumb. they got away." Ghouls are dumb. Uh, <laughs> if they fail their will save against a, against an illusion, yeah. they're they're done. And we they're... and we fucking ran. <laughs> yes. And you did get to go to the uh, Church of Phirasma. Uh -huh. um, um. What happened there? I don't think we found anything very interesting. No. Um, no. We were sort of like, hey, Duvalis, that was the queen's position. What's you, the deal? And he's you, like, you I wanted, don't know. You wanted information uh, from their from their library about yes. minor deities. Right, yes. And Duvalis took this opportunity to take the only book yes. in the city <laughs> yes. that had information about uh, the, the uh, Red Mantis assassins. And... and just take it from yes. their collection. Yeah, we didn't find a whole lot of stuff, but Dr. Duvalis got the opportunity to block us from getting more information, which was ideal for him. Yes. Uh, and <laughs> what so, a shit. So basically, I believe you 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 took this book under the uh, premise of wanting to research Glonder. Yes. This is an actual published book, by the way. Uh, it's called, uh, I believe it's Inner Sea Faiths. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and we, we sort of refer to it in the setting as being... Uh, kind of a diegetic book 
and and it, it helps because this is a splat book that's sort of written with uh like uh details of these gods one of the gods detailed is a chekek the mm-hmm. red mantis mm-hmm. uh patron of the red mantis assassins yes and devalis being a red mantis assassin wanted uh found this book in the collection not knowing it was going to be there <laughs> and went oh shit I got to get rid of this because if any of them read this, they might figure out what's going on here. Yep. Um, it's also his way of preventing you from learning anything about Red Mantis Assassins yep. in the future if you were to find any other part part of the plot. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it was it was a dead end for you, but a success for Devalis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we had a very dramatic moment yes. where uh, you woke up in the middle of the night to... Uh, the sound of explosions going off. Mm-hmm. We ran out <clears throat> to find a mysterious figure in a red cape with a gold mask. Yes. Setting fire to the bridges uh, that connect old Corvosa to the mainland. Yes. As the Grey Maidens watched <clears throat> in approval. In approval. Of the new quarantine measures being put into yes, effect. As they severed all connections <clears throat> to Endrin Isle. Uh, and uh, as of right now, we have no idea who this golden masked person is. Yep. Uh, and uh, and but it seems that they were working with the queen's physicians mm-hmm. and the gray maidens, and that they have a considerable amount of spellcasting. Yeah, they they cast walls of fire uh, enough. They cast enough walls of fire to completely destroy all connection to the mainland, uh, which is a lot. And it was sort of these, it was the kind of thing that we could look at and go, oh, this person has a skull overhead, uh-huh. over yep. their head, because yep. they can cast Wall of Fire more times than we can possibly deal with. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it was very fun. Yeah, um, no, it was, it was terrifying. And, of course, this is setting up book three, in mm-hmm. which, uh, uh, basically, Old Corvosa now being separated from the mainland, things start to go much worse there. Oh, yes. Very quickly. Yes. Um, and, you know, this would... And this would be uh, uh, a nice little uh, teaser, if not for the fact that you guys needed to go into Old Corvosa like right then. <laughs> right? Yeah. You guys went into Old Corvosa because uh, Cressida wanted information about where they were dumping uh, bodies that were yes. supposed to be carted to the Gray District. Yes. Because now they can't get into yeah. the Gray District, obviously. So we we snuck around outside because the gray maidens were monitoring traffic on the uh on the bri- the one bridge still leading into old corvosa mm-hmm. um got in with some help from uh vencarlo orosini of all people yes. uh through some caves that led up into old corvosa yes uh and went to this alleyway uh where they were dumping the yeah. bodies and this, this was actually um one of my first great opportunities to sort of show the uh different levels of impact that Bloodvale was having yeah. across socioeconomic uh barriers right because mm-hmm. you you came mm-hmm. up in uh in um Fort Corvosa for, in Fort Corvosa which is sort of a higher end neighborhood on uh on Endron Isle right and it was having sort of minimal impact and also the people on Endron Isle were anticipating that it wouldn't have much impact going forward uh-huh. uh they were wrong Oh God, yeah. Uh, but uh, but it was fun to sort of have this 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 sheltered uh-huh. world that thought everything was going to be fine for them, while outside their gates, uh, 
it, things were things were dev devolving into uh, looters and uh, yeah, and people uh, just just pa panic panicking. in the streets. Uh, gangs were going around and like demanding protection money from desperate people who would pay them just because they they had no other choice. Yeah, you know, yeah. and um, and I, I do like showing this um, asymmetrical impact that Bloodvale has. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we were doing this, uh, we were doing this part of the story uh, while we were in some of the worst parts of the uh, coronavirus yeah. uh, pandemic. All this was being recorded during lockdown. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and um, so having that that sort of thing happen where rich people uh, stayed, you know, protected in their homes while uh people who were not as well off struggled and suffered and were in danger mm -hmm. uh, really sort of had that double resonance of yeah. this is a horrible thing that's happening in game, but also this is what's happening outside the windows right now. Like right now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, and, and if you go back and listen, uh, I have some reactions that are pretty strong uh, that yes. are fueled by the things that are actually happening in real life at that time. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, I was pretty happy with how all that went. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was happy with the party, um, sticking up for people who needed protection. Um, I, I was, I was very happy that, uh, like you guys really got to say, Hey, we do actually need to pull together on this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, we need to protect everyone. Uh, it was, it was, it was really good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was a bit cathartic, but satisfying. Yeah. Uh, uh, and you and and so then getting more into the fantasy element of everything. <laughs> then we found some vampires. Then we found vampires. <laughs> Speaking of people, uh, uh, people leeching off of the less fortunate, you found vampires <laughs> who were feeding on people in an alley. <laughs> Basically, the plague carters were coming around and they were dumping their corpses at this place called Rocker's Alley, and then vampires were feeding off of the dead and dying. Who were dumped here, mm. uh, and uh, you you killed the vampires. Mm -hmm. uh, you got fucked up a bit because mm. you guys got negative levels from that. Yeah. Negative levels, uh, one of those great things that rear their head around these this level. Yeah. Where okay, now dealing hit point damage to you is not as bad. We need something worse we can do to a party. Uh, what, what was this like? <laughs> six level? Yeah, level, yeah. I like think that? we were. I think we were level six. Lenore had just gotten her curse cured. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Lenore had just gotten her curse cured. Uh, and then we drop a negative level on you. Two. Two negative levels on she you. She had two negative levels. And um, <laughs> and negative levels are a horrible thing in Pathfinder where they reduce your maximum hit points by five. Yep. Uh, and then I think you take a, is a minus one for every negative level? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, on, on basically everything. On everything. <laughs> every roll. It was so, so bad. Reduce your maximum hit points by five and then reduce every roll by one. It was really bad. <laughs> so you lost 10 hit points and minus two on all your rolls. It was really scary. Yeah. Uh, uh, and But you did manage to get an important piece of information. Yes. In that you used uh, this, you used one of the uh, vampires to cast, what's the spell? Uh, shit. Uh, hold on. Um. Uh. uh Carrion Compass. Carrion Compass. Yes. And, and find their master yes um now uh the next step was that this this basically led you to uh the hospice of the blessed maiden and at the time that you didn't really get any further yeah. because you were met with some obstructionism there yeah. um but 
I, I did want to talk a little bit about the carrion compass. Uh -huh. Because there's actually more going on here uh, than uh, you even found out in the adventure. Oh. Yeah. So the carrion compass led you to the Hospice of the Blessed Maiden because underneath the hospice is the Temple of Ergothoa. Uh -huh. right? uh -huh. And laboring in the Temple of Ergothoa was this vampire named Ramoska Arkminos. Yes. Right? And uh, Ramoska, Ramoska Arkminos is a Nosferatu wizard alchemist <laughs> uh, who was lent to this cult of Ergothoa by his master, uh, uh, who is a count in uh, Ustalak. Uh -huh. right? The vampires that were working for him were actually sired by his master. Oh. But his master gave him control of them to go to Corvosa okay. as bodyguards. Okay. Uh, and so they're not those vampires weren't actually sired by Ramoska, but they were put under his command by his master. And, and because, that's why that's why the eyeball led you to him. Yeah, because Carrion Compass leads you to whoever is currently controlling yes. the undead. Yeah. And so basically, um uh, yeah, the the that's why uh, these vampires also didn't look like Nosferatu. Uh-huh. Uh, is because they're they're not sired by right. Ramoskar Minos. Interesting. Um, there's actually a little bit more interesting backstory with Ramoskar Minos. But um, <laughs> as of this recording uh, right now, I still haven't gotten into some of that stuff with Daft, and we might get into it later. Mm. Um, and so I'm not going to talk about it right now, but... Um, Ramoska Arkminos is a really interesting character. He has some unique motivations mm. uh, that actually come up in another adventure path. Yes. Uh, and uh, if anybody is interested in uh, seeing Ramoska Arkminos again, uh, you might want to tune into Severed Fate. Yes. Uh, because they ha I don't think they've met him yet, but he does show up in the adventure path that they're running in Severed Fate. Yes. Uh and that would be Dimension Door's uh, second show, uh, Dimension Door, Severed Fate. And maybe you'll see him there. Maybe you'll Who see knows? him there. I, uh, I probably shouldn't say that. That's spoil stuff. Shh. I didn't say that. Um, <laughs> we plugged Severed Fate for reasons that are unknown to you. Reasons unknown. <laughs> but, you know, you know, maybe you'll find out more about Ramos Garkminos. Maybe. Um, Somehow. Also, if you're a player in Severed Fate. You didn't hear this from us. You didn't us. hear this from me. <laughs> Um, but yeah, uh, we, the vampire eyeball led us to, uh, <laughs> led us to the hospice of the blessed maiden. We were like, yo guys, do you know you have a vampire here? And they were like, leave us alone. We're doing important work. We were yeah. like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. and, and <laughs> Which was for my first really big tip off that there was something deeply wrong going on at the yeah. hospice of the blessed maiden. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, this is one of those things where uh, I was trying to put as many uh, little pieces that pointed to the hospice as possible to get you guys to start, like, investigating the Queen's Physicians and stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and, because, well, actually, one of the difficulties in the book is there's not a lot of things that point to the Hospice of the Blessed Mate. Uh -huh. um, the, and in fact, um, the reason why I had the eyeball come to the hospice uh, was because there weren't enough things pointing to the hospice, right? Yeah. Um, like, technically, if I wanted to be completely accurate, I could have had the eyeball start going north and just continue leading you north <laughs> uh, until, the until the spell fails. <laughs> um, but I was like, I need something that draws you toward the hospice of the Blessed Maiden. And you mm -hmm. guys had come up with this plan. And I was like, well, that would work 
if the vampires were under his control. So I just went, okay, the vampires are under his control. (laughs) 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 And uh, so you were led there. Uh, You had a, you had a little bit of a standoff with the queen's physicians. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you, you guys, you guys back down. Yeah. Um, Sort of uh, with threats that, hey, your lack of cooperation is being noted right now. Yeah, we're like, okay, fine. We'll come back when we have more evidence. Yes. Uh, and um, and then uh, you did get another mission mm-hmm. to go to Carowin Manor where there was a plague party. Oh, and what a party it was. And uh, you found this place where they a bunch of nobles uh-huh. on the south side of town had a, had a party to just celebrate being able to get together. Yeah. And guess things what? Are, things they are died. going back to normal. Yeah. Isn't it nice that we're was, all safe because we're rich? It was really stressful to run this. It was. <laughs> because people were fucking doing this. Yeah. At the time that we ran this this session. Yep. And I was like, <laughs> what? You know, it was one of these cases where when we started running Curse of the Crimson Throne, we weren't aware that uh, a global pandemic was going to be an issue that we encountered. By the time we got to book two, the pandemic had started. And we were like, do we want to do this? And we were like, yeah, I think this will be cathartic to do. Because, because so many of the things are so ridiculous and removed from reality. Yeah. Right? yeah. But then, fucking shit just started happening. God. That was in line with what happens in the book. And I was like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. Like, people are having <laughs> plague parties? Yeah. Uh... In a, in a striking difference from reality, uh, the the members of this plague party or plague party plague were party. all murdered. They were murdered. <laughs> they were actually yeah. murdered. They were uh, murdered and made to look like Bloodvale by Jolestina Suspiria, uh, an awful, awful lady. Our little female Joker character. <laughs> she was so terrible. Uh, and you know, it, it could be easy for me to say uh, Harley Quinn character, but no, she's a female Joker. Uh-huh. Like. She is, um... Some people well, just actually, want to watch the world burn. I actually, you know, now that I think about it, she could sort of be, be seen as a Harley Quinn and character. Kind of, to Rolf Lamb's Joker a yeah, little bit. Sort of, there, there is sort of a, uh, a... There's a Joker-Harley Quinn parallel yeah. going on with uh, Jolestina and Rolf. Rolf doesn't dress up as a clown. No. And she does. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, or she just dresses up as a jester. Yes. Um... But, you know, um, Jolestina was this arcane trickster who mm-hmm. uh, decided to make this noble, this noble party her playground while she looked for Varisians who were immune to blood veil that she could then pass on to Rolf because she was obsessed with Rolf. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And in that way, she's she's kind of like at least original Hartley. Yeah. Uh, and um, there's actually uh, I've heard a few stories about other ways this can play which mm. do play a little bit more like um like later harley stuff like the emancipation where, of harley quinn yeah like the emancipation of harley quinn in which uh by by uh exposing that rolf was just going to leave her here etc cetera, etc cetera, you can actually get jolestina on your side to go and fight through 
the, the final dungeon the final dungeon with you uh, and actually i've 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 read a few stories about people who played this uh-huh uh, and had jolestina on their side yeah i couldn't trust her yeah she she was she was she was really evil like like if she was like well i'll go i'll go kill rolf myself and i was like and then after that you're gonna kill all of us right probably yeah and also, when I was reading those stories, I was like, fuck, how could you work with somebody no, like this? No. She, <laughs> she killed all those people. <laughs> um, like, sure, maybe they were rich assholes, but they, they're all dead now. <laughs> yes. And, excuse me. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, you, you uh, defeated her after, mm-hmm. after some lovely games with illusions. It's including very, very good. Her playing poker with herself. It was very funny. Um, <laughs> There's, there's actually. Uh, I love that shot of us just going into the room, and she had cast uh, major image, major image, and was playing strip poker with herself. That was it, that was iconic. There's honestly. actually uh, a very sad thing that I've learned. Oh uh, no! In in uh, since running this this part of the game. Oh, is that major image specifies that you have to create one creature? What? Yeah. It, the size of major image is such that you could create a lavish display. But it says that you can only do one creature. So beneath the table, all beneath of the, the table, Harleys yes. or all of the all of the Jalostinos were connected it's to each other. Hydra <laughs> with, it's, it's a Hydra with with different uh, protrusions beneath it is just that like, all look like Jalostinos. Just like a hand with yes. like finger puppet Jalostinos yeah. sticking out yeah. of them. And so I'm going to be honest. If if uh, if anybody has an issue with this, I'm sorry. I'm going to keep having multiple creatures be made with major image. Uh, so long as they sit within the the bounds of the box made by Major Image, <laughs> because holy shit, that box is huge. It is. It's very big. Mm. Uh, and I've had fun using Major Image, uh, especially in book two, uh, to get crowds of people to move. <laughs> yes, yeah, the bulls, the bulls, the the, the, the the big arc, angel. the angel. Yeah. Um. There's a there's a point later. Uh, in book, uh, between book two and book three. Shh, don't tell them that part. They haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> um, uh, there's more. There's, it's, it's, it's fun. We have fun with Major Image. Major Image is a fun spell. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's also one of these things that, um, one of the reasons why I don't put, I try not to put too much limitations on things like enchantment and illusion. Um, for the same reason that I try not to put uh, many limitations on uh, charisma-based things, mm. is that there there is a tendency in fantasy gaming uh, to like if you if you enforce some of these rules too much, it really limits the utility of these things. Yeah, right. Like if like illusion, if if you if you like if you allow somebody a save as soon as they look at an illusion. Right. It means yeah. that illusions will almost never work. Yeah. And so like I, I'm pretty I'm pretty narrow in my interpretation of what interacting with an illusion means. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, like you have to touch it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, until you touch the illusion, you know, you might not trust it or you might not. But it'll look real. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Um, and the other the other thing being um, like uh, I could get into this a lot, but like there's. There's a lot of really good documentation on the internet about, um, you know, making sure that you don't limit the utility of things like enchantment magic, mm-hmm. things like mm-hmm. uh, um, things like illusion magic, because, you know, evocation is really easy to see the effects of. It does a set amount of damage. It does blah, blah, blah. Right. Yeah. But illusion and enchantment are kind of softer magics mm-hmm. in that if you don't give enough to your players, 
you won't get as much back from them. Yeah. You know, and they become options that are functionally useless. Yeah. Uh, so I, I let people have more complex illusions yeah. than the spell might allow, as long as it doesn't exceed the area or, or the senses that uh, a, an illusion spell would appeal to. Yeah, because then we get to do fun stuff instead yeah. of just like power gaming our way through it. Yes. I mean, really, the 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 ideal scenario is that you want to take uh, evocation spells and maximize and just use those every fucking time. <laughs> <laughs> I solve this problem by murder. I solve it by murder. And now you've created murder hobos. <laughs> and I hope you like playing that way because it's the only way you're going to play from this point on. Um, anyway, uh, sorry. Yeah. Um, uh, just a little bit about just a little bit about theory. Yeah. Game design theory there. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but yeah, uh, we captured Jalastina. You also defeated oh the flying queen's position we did and found out that the flying queen's position was vrieg vrieg that yes. fucker from the first the the end of book one dungeon who got away because we killed had ophelia. to run <laughs> what, yeah. pardon? Killed, killed ophelia yeah killed ophelia book. uh and then we we ran we called the guards vrieg got away yep um, and so now you managed to get him because you webbed him and uh, and he was like, well, fuck. And he actually uh, cast fireball on himself yep. to destroy the mask that he was wearing. Yes. Because he didn't want you guys to find out about the enchantment on the mask. Yes. Uh, uh. Don't believe it worked. <laughs> Wait, no, no, it did work. It did work. Because yeah. he destroyed the mask. Yep. He, he successfully um, destroyed the mask. Uh, uh. However, uh, this was when uh, you took Jalasina back to... Uh, Citadel Volshynik. Citadel Volshynik. And we're able to interrogate her. We had that lovely, lovely uh, Dark Knight yes. callback. Every now and then, I like, <laughs> I, you know, I try not to do this too much in this game because this game is being published and there's a lot of issues like with copyright and stuff like that. That, But one of the things that I like doing a lot in... Uh, tabletop games is recreating scenes from movies. Really like. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, because it's sort of a parody thing and because she's already like the Joker. Yes. I did take this opportunity to just do the scene from the dark Knight yeah. in which Batman interrogates the Joker. Commissioner Gordon. I mean, Cressida Croft leaves the lights go out and Batman. I even, I mean, I even, have her, I even had her say <laughs> yeah. exactly what yes. Commissioner Gordon says, which is if we're going to do this, I'm going to need a cup of coffee. <laughs> and so she leaves. Lights go out. Lights come back up. Blackjack is in the room. Blackjack smashes Jalistina's face into the table. And then she goes, you can't start with the victim's head. You always get a little fuzzy when you start with the head. <laughs> <laughs> and then we laid out. Um, this was sort of um, my way of delivering information that you guys might not have found. Mm -hmm. Um which is basically, you know, we had been doing this now for about, uh, we had been doing this now for about um, 10 episodes, 15 mm. episodes or something mm. like that. Yeah. And I was like, all right, we do just need to start narrowing in on the finale. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I had Blackjack convey a bunch of information that you could have arrived at if you went down different research venues. Mm -hmm. um, but you chose different things. And so I was like, okay, Blackjack chose the things that you didn't choose. Yeah, we were investigating <laughs> in parallel to each other. Yeah. Um, and Blackjack, you know, doesn't work with you. He works alone. He works alone. <laughs> uh, I want, uh, and, uh, you know, hopefully that'll never uh, catch up with him and make anything bad happen oh, to him. Oh, sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that'll uh, never become a problem. That'll never become a problem. Uh, 
but you you managed to get this information out about how um about how blood veil was being spread and that it was matching uh queen's physician patrols through the city yes the queen's physicians were spreading blood veil yes uh and um it's actually it's actually really interesting if you were to plot I never had time to actually like make a presentable map of this. Mm-hmm. But basically, the Queen's physicians, uh, the the spread of blood veil has these nucleation sites at some of the poorer neighborhoods in town, and the Queen's physicians' uh, routes are actually the most efficient ways from the poorer parts of town, avoiding the wealthier sections of town. Those fuckers. Yeah. So that so that so that if you were to look at it, you'd have these, you know, if you were to look at like like a CDC map uh-huh. where they have red circles that uh-huh. grow in size based on number of cases, the biggest the biggest ones would be in Midland. Mm-hmm. Uh um let's see. What's the what's the southern one? Uh, uh Bridgefront on Ender Isle. Mm-hmm. Midland uh in the center of uh of Corvosa and then um Pillar Hill Pillar Hill Pillar yes. Hill uh and uh everything on the on the on the uh slopes of the Gurry district mm-hmm. uh and and you would see lines that actually connect these districts connect the dots yep uh and th- this is actually why uh one time you encountered a patrol of gray maidens and it was actually while you were walking through Midland ah uh, and this was this is a thing that that you guys never actually found, um, but but basically the the Queen's physicians' routes are trying to hit all of the low income areas of Corvosa so that they can spread the disease fastest among the lower. They lower they did a really effective job. They did, um, and it really you know I can't talk too much about the motivations as to why because yeah. you guys still don't know. Yeah. We actually just finished book three and you guys still don't know. Yeah, there's we, you know, I have some theories that I bring up in the show, but we don't know. But, uh, you know, um, it, it it's definitely intentional to. Yeah. Hit the lower hit the uh, the lower income people yeah. hardest. All about all we can figure out is that they really, really wanted these people dead. Yeah. They really is. wanted the city dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, and. um um, we found it, we found more about the Varician immunity and the fact that uh, the Queen's physicians were taking healthy Varicians mm-hmm. for experimentation in the yep. Hospice of the Blessed Maiden, uh, and uh, you know this sort of also serves the purpose of you know the Queen's physicians want these people dead. Yep, and they're like, oh, our our method of killing them is not working well enough. We need to experiment on them to find out why it's not killing them well enough. Yeah, and so with this information in hand, um, now we now we really did get into it. You know, mm-hmm. like this this is this is quite possibly the darkest part of the entire series. Yeah, um, and I, I had a little bit of a personal disclaimer when we got into it because. Yeah. It, you know, it had personal resonance for me. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, you know the the methodical uh, the me- the methodical destruction of entire classes of people. I think we can all recognize the connections. There. Yeah. Um, and you know, I talked about this a little bit uh, when we actually got into the area. You know, preventing um, things like genocide. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was it was really one of the important things for me about getting into book two of curse 
uh, is that I, I I wanted to tell a story yeah. where the heroic act is preventing genocide. Yeah. Um, and uh, unfortunately, that does mean that you you do have to get into kind of the ugly side of things. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, but I think you guys did did really well. Yeah, there were a couple of points um, in the final dungeon where we had to take a little break uh-huh. um, and just, you know, uh, those things didn't get into the record, but just no. had to, you know, I had to take a break to cry a little bit. Uh, or I had to take a break to just like breathe a little bit because it's it's intense. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, it, it was definitely a case of um, I, I was I was actively trying to sort of draw parallels between Dr. Duvalis and like Goebbels, you mm-hmm. know, like yeah. he, he is an architect of uh, of a of a Holocaust. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And uh, uh, I think we are lucky in that his death toll was only. A couple thousand yeah you know yeah um and uh, one of the great things uh that was able to prevent it from growing worse than that is your quick action yeah you know the, yeah. the cover of night did not waste any time in moving against this uh in any way that they could yeah and uh, we i think we rested up one night from the uh yeah. ordeal with jalostina and then yeah just to heal and then we marched right into the hospice of the blessed maiden the next morning mm-hmm. Uh, and we're like, we're here to fuck you up. <laughs> yeah. And you guys carved a path of destruction straight to Devalis's office. Mm-hmm. Um, and you killed him. Yep. Whoops. We were supposed to take him alive you for found, questioning. Whoops. You found, yeah, yeah. Uh, I know, I know. Cressida told you to take him alive. But I'll, I'll be honest. When I told you that, I was like, you should fucking kill him. It was one of those situations when... W- while I was fighting him, it did not once occur to me to take him alive. And And it was only after Ophelia had killed him. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, both of them blinded, uh, stabbing at each other uh, near the elevator. Mm -hmm. And she, you know, stabbed him through. And I was like, he's dead. Finally, the fucker's dead. Wait. Yeah. And this this was was, um, (laughs) actually to get a little bit more into this. This was uh, still actually... Part of uh, one of the things that I've that I've kind of characterized with Cressida, right, is that Cressida is very much a person who wants to keep as much intact as she can of the way the city is supposed to work. And so that means sometimes she is not willing to transgress these certain barriers that really need to be pushed. Yeah. And so she tells you to bring Devalis in alive. But, you know, I think it is better to kill him. Yeah, like, he needs to die. I did not regret it. <laughs> and but like but like Cressida being a being an arbiter of the law says, oh, he should get a fair trial. Right. Mm. Because also because, you know, I, I think this should be clear at this point. Cressida didn't realize when she said that how deep this goes. Right. Yeah. Like, there's no way that if you had brought him in alive, he would have walked. Yeah. You know, like. There is no way he would have gotten a trial that ended in yeah. an execution. One of the things that we found when we got to his office after killing him was a bunch of uh, prepared speeches yeah. that he had written so that he could use his uh, intelligence skill instead of his his intelligence instead of his skills. Intelli- instead of his charisma. Yeah, instead of charisma skills in order to bluff. Yeah. Uh, there are a couple of times. Well, he doesn't he doesn't actually use intelligence instead of charisma to bluff. Oh, um, no, he, he just had a lot of ranks in that. Oh, OK. okay. But, but this was him practicing so that he knew what to say. 
Okay. This, this is sort of to illustrate the fact that he has brute forced bluff. Yeah. And and basically okay. Okay. he had he had max skill ranks in bluff, uh, and I believe the deceitful feat. Yes. There um, there are a couple of times in the recordings of book two where you are saying Davalis is rolling a knowledge check, but you're actually having him roll a bluff check. That's just me lying. Yeah, and you're just no. That's and just it, me was, lying. it was it's great though. It's great though. One of my favorite parts. One of my favorite parts uh, of Duvalis lying to us in book two is when we ask him, we're like, hey, uh, you know, he is. it's when he's first installed the hospice of the Blessed Maiden. And we go, mm-hmm. oh, Blessed Maiden. Which one's that? He's like one of the <laughs> healing ones. Yeah. And you're like, uh, and you say, uh, I'm going to have Duvalis roll a knowledge check. He yep. has knowledge religion. You roll and you're like, he got a natural one. Uh, one of the healing ones. Yes, and, th- and that was a case where I rolled a bluff check. You know, it's it's one of these cases where um, I loved that. I yeah, loved that. Like when I'm rolling dice, uh, if I really want to, like, not let you know that I'm bluffing, I'll say that I'm rolling something else. It's, it was fantastic. Yeah, it was great, uh, <laughs> and it was it was really it was really fun. <laughs> And so, um, yeah, uh, he would have he would have lied. He would have gotten he would have walked. Um, and also, Iliosa was in on it. So yeah, <laughs> and and importantly, uh, one of the little details that we found, uh, the judge is in on it too. Yes, she is. Uh, the judge uh, Zenobia Zenderholm. Zenobia Zenderholm is now a, symp- a sympathizer with the the Gray Maidens. Yep, gave control of uh, Longacre building. Longacre building to them. Uh, so this they're they're all in on it. It's all a big conspiracy. So it's good and, that we killed him. You know, it's it, you know, it's it's tough because Cressida really wants things to go back to normal. Oh, uh, but right? they're just not. But they're like, just not gonna. You know, if, you, if you really look at Corvosa, the normal that Cressida wants, it was already so bad. It was already so bad. And, you know, I, I feel like uh, I think this is a thing that that was really illustrated during the pandemic mm. is. Wanting a desire for a a return to, quote, normal does not necessarily always mean something better. Yeah. Right. Like, like, I think one of the important things when you're going through a trial like this is to recognize how it happened in the first place Mm -hmm. and not just not just go back to how it was. Yeah. But to push forward into something that will prevent the same thing from happening in the future. Yeah. Like speaking in the case of of Corvosa, Mm -hmm. one of the reasons why the poor of Corvosa were so vulnerable to blood veil uh, is because it's a disease that can only be healed by magical healing. And the places that provide the bulk of magical healing in the city require you to pay exorbitant sums of money to get healed. Yeah. Like um, for instance, like the more egalitarian faiths uh, are sort of belittled in Corvosa yeah. and, and it's really to their detriment, right? Like mm-hmm. the church of Saren Ray, does like in in places where Saren Ray has a has a devout following, right? Yeah, free healing is a common thing, right? Yeah, when it's needed. Yeah, you know, obviously, if you're a bunch of adventurers going to a temple of Saren Ray and you have like fifty thousand yeah. gold sitting in your pocket, they're yeah. gonna they're gonna ask you to make a donation to yeah. the church. Yeah, but the Church of Saren Ray doesn't absolutely require that you pay for healing. Yeah, and if you need healing and you can't afford it, they will heal you. Mm-hmm. But because Corvosa is so dedicated to this 
this extremely regimented colonialist like view where yeah. where poverty is like a sign of weakness, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Where they, they call they call the poor empties as if they have no value as people or as or as uh, citizens. Yeah. Right. Like because that's the way their their city was built. Mm hmm. It is extremely susceptible to an attack like this. Yep. Because they they already disregard how people in these districts live their lives. Yeah. But this means that you can you can incubate uh, a disease that requires magical healing with surprisingly strong uh, efficacy. Yeah. And wow. wanting to go back to normal in a situation like that, yeah. wanting to go back to that super, uh, super stratified. regimented, stratified, uh, big economic disparity between rich and poor sort of situation. Maybe you'll be susceptible to the same thing yeah, again in the future. Yeah, maybe it's not going to be blood veil next time, but there will be some uh, some other disease that will ravage your city because, you know, you don't have basic health care for people who need it. Yeah. And and another another major factor that, you know, Davalos is preying on is is the this this inherent supremacist view that Chalaxians conquered mm-hmm. this land and deserve it. And so when the poor who uh, aren't doing their part to take over more, or the Varisians who are just here uh, leeching off society, et cetera, et cetera, like, or the Shawanti who are the weak ones who we defeated, right? Get infected, right? That's their problem. That's not our problem. Like totally disregarding the fact that by, by allowing this disease to uh, spread among the people who were targeted, targeted because this is an attack. Um, like, it weakened the entire city, right? One might almost say that this disease revealed the true sickness of Corvosa. Ha. <laughs> you might say that. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, uh, but you, you killed Duvalis. Killed the shit out of Duvalis. <laughs> and then you went down into the, uh, you, you found this elevator in yeah. a secret sub-basement. Yes. It was, uh, and it was more like a sub, 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 it was Sub basement. Uh, and you go down into this temple, which uh, seems to have been an ancient Thessalonian temple mm-hmm. dedicated to Lasala at one point. Uh, and I believe you guys didn't really get a lot of information about Lasala here. Yeah. Now, we, you know a little bit about Lasala. Yeah, but we didn't roll particularly well on that knowledge religion check. But um, a little bit of background for anybody who's like listening, so you can be at least on the same page as Daft was when Daft failed these roles to know anything about. Fuck you. But but I think it's important to recognize that you are now having to role play, not having knowledge that you do have. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like so, Lasala was the patron deity of uh of Thassalon, uh, and so when as we're entering into this place, we're now revealing a ruin of this bygone empire uh Thassalon that was mm-hmm. ruled over by the rune lords yep and um this is actually a change that i made from the original book in the original book i believe the um the the temple of ergothoa actually excavates this area uh, during the course of book 1 okay um uh, basically the the uh i don't think now i think you guys are investigating how they came to own this place more in book three, aren't yes, you? Yes, yes. So we won't talk about how they came to own this place. So in the original, in the original, they they dug it out they, Minecraft they, they style. Dug, they dug this. They dug this temple out underneath the uh, warehouse. Why are there all these chests here? They're just full of <laughs> stacks of dirt. Yep. Mm. <laughs> 
But this is a common thing that I do when I'm running an adventure path is uh, so when I run an adventure path, there's a few steps that I go through. Right. First, I do a, a I read it like a book. Right. Mm-hmm. I read the entire adventure path or series of books in the adventure path mm-hmm. like a novel. Right. Mm-hmm. I just start at the beginning and I read, 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 read. Right. Mm-hmm. Then uh, I go back and I do what I call a detail read mm-hmm. uh, where I'm, I'm picking out like I, I basically I'm diagramming out the plot points that need to be hit through the book and what is done to set them up at different points. There are plot points that are not that in almost every Paizo adventure path, you will find plot points that don't have things setting them up. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, me putting in more detail into a location that otherwise is just, Oh, it's there suddenly. Yeah. Um, to foreshadow things that will come later. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a, there will be more of such foreshadowing in the future. Um, but basically, uh, there are connections to Thassalon that need to be made that yes. the book uh, doesn't make on its own. Mm. And so I made this a temple to Lasala so that we can have these connections to Thassalon so that when we bas- basically my goal whenever I do this is I don't want you to walk into a room. Somebody just say, ah, yes, it was me the entire <laughs> time. And you go. Who? Who? <laughs> like it's me, Star Lord. It's me, Star Lord. Who? And who? You know, Star Lord, man. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, so I made this a temple to Lasala that has been converted to uh, Ergotho, and it works for the the narrative. I yeah, think, too, yeah. Because uh, um, you know, it's very Ergothoan to take something that was once sacred to another person and desecrate, and desecrate it, and it, it and make it yours. Make it yours, yeah. Uh, and so they did. Yeah. You found uh, quite a few people being experimented on down here. Yeah. You uh, found, but you did find some hope. You met Sinter. I did. Uh, our, our good friend. I had you spend all of your hero points to get Sinter's help. Yes. Uh, and boy, was it good we had her. Yeah. Um, because <laughs> she killed the shit out of Roth Lamb. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You guys fucking curb stomped Roth Lamb. <laughs> And in some ways, in some ways, I was sad in that that we spend all of books one and two setting Rolf up, and then he just fucking dies. I thought there was something very poetic about him being a sad, pathetic, uh, horrible, horrible man. Yeah, uh, I like it. I like it too. Like it's it's one of those things where I would love to have had him continue to pester you guys forever, right? Yeah, because he's a really interesting villain. I would love to have role played him more. And had him just be horrible to you for a long period of time. But I also, there is something so uniquely Pathfinder about yeah. having someone with so much power and just destroying them mm-hmm. instantly. It's not even something that you can do in other tabletops, right? Mm-hmm. Like, in if you were to fight Rolf Lamb in 5e, he would have had, like, probably legendary actions God, or yeah. lair actions. And there's no way you would have been able to kill him as fast as you did. Yeah, as it um, was, it was two rounds, I think. It was two rounds, yeah, I believe. <laughs> he got off a lightning bolt. He got off a lightning bolt, and uh, um, and then he was down. Yeah, <laughs> and then and then the party, and then and then his clerics healed him, and then center bo- and then center fucking killed him. Yeah, <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. Uh, and it was really good. A horrible, horrible man reaped by the scythe of an inquisitor. Uh, of Vonimos. Uh, a psychopomp in service to Phrasma. In, in service to Phrasma, who helps people in times of tragedy yeah. and catastrophe. And uh, and uh, we also revealed that he had uh, a a necklace of fingers 
that he kept Jesus his trophies Christ, for all yeah. the people that he's killed, one including of which including Edgar. Yes. Lenore's husband. Yes, Lenore's husband. Um and uh so you you got to, you know, cry about that for a little bit. Um yep. and then we got back to business. Yep. And <laughs> mm, we got to fight his uh his flesh golem. Yep. This is actually another change that I made from the adventure path. Uh in the in the book, that room just has zombies and queen's physicians. Boring. Or no, no, cultists. Zombies and cultists. Boring. And I was like, look, we spent all this time talking about how Rothland makes fucking golems. Let's put in another golem. And yeah. so we had this unholy flesh golem. It was really cool. I, um basically um uh it's it's a golem that is infused with negative energy so that it also deals negative energy damage on its it's attacks. Very, very scary. It's really fun. Pinned you guys down at the door. I loved uh-huh. it. It, it did great. a great job. It helped the cultists live for a couple more rounds. Yes. Uh, and it gives differences in kind to yeah. the, uh, basically, where before we would have another creep fight, similar to the two creep fights that we'd had just before. Yeah. Uh, now we have a mini boss fight. Yeah. Uh, with, with, a, with a tanky mini boss. It was great. Which gives a difference in kind from the caster boss fights yeah. that then flank this. Fighting uh, golems is, o- is always also really interesting because you can't do magic to them. Yes. And I have so many so many of my characters have magic abilities. Uh and so when it comes to enemies like that, I'm actually a little underpowered um in in several ways yes. cuz a lot of my character builds trade off base attack bonus for casting abilities. Yeah. And so I, I like I like throwing in a different kind of fight. Yeah. Uh, and that this one is a big meaty thing that you must beat the shit out of, uh, <laughs> and your magic will do no good here. Yeah. Whereas before you had a spellcaster, and it was all about mm-hmm. magic. And yeah. Stopping spells. Yeah. Anyway, it was great. So you fight them. Uh, one of the guys gets to drown in the blood vats. So good. Um, so good. Loved oh that. <laughs> uh, I also added the uh, the skeletal armatures that were stirring the tanks. <gasps> Those were so cool. Um, I don't think they have anything stirring them, but I was just like, I wanted to give. Uh, really, um, this is this sort of feeds into my desire to make Corvosa seem almost like a Victorian setting. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I do more of is there's more machinery yeah. in, in uh, the way that I present Corvosa than there is in the original book, um, which is to sort of give this, um, you know, Victorian era uh, idea of being at the edge of this sort of industrial revolution. Yeah. Right. Uh, however, th- this is done through magical means and not through mechanical means and so they're actually using necromancy I love, yeah. to almost create a a industrial pipeline yeah. that functions like a body it's a macabre yeah. uh it's very very macabre i really like it love it that's fun uh and then you go and you fight ramoska arkminos yes uh the aforementioned uh nosferatu vampire uh, who yeah. we didn't really fight so much as we sort of flailed at, and, flailed he, went, at the and he went look I could kill you right here or you could let me go. Yeah. And we were like, fine. Uh, and <laughs> I, I felt really bad because this is this is not this is the kind of fight that I don't like doing, uh, which is an enemy who who um, you really can't do anything about. Yeah, it was uh, sort of like we saw the skull above his head and we were like, no, we're going to take him on. We just took on a whole bunch of of yeah. mini bosses. And what is he but one one more mini boss? And then he's like, I'm not I'm not here to fight you. You can't yeah. beat me. Uh, now, here's some information. Now, the, <laughs> I'm gonna the, ollie the out. Reason, the reason why I still did it is because, um, see, the thing that I don't like, uh, and I've been vocal about this in other games we've been in, is I don't like when a villain sits there and you can't touch them. 
Mm-hmm. And if you try to hit them or hurt them, they're just like, you're so stupid for trying to hurt me. Like, and Ramoska kind of does that, mm. but he doesn't also want to kill you. Yeah. You know, like he is, he is in a position where he, he can't be hurt by you, but he also doesn't want to kill you. Yeah. And the reason why I don't like it a lot of times in fiction is if you have this villain who, who you can, you can't hit them. You can't do anything is they're also villains who want to kill you. Yeah. Right? And then they, leave, so why they're don't like, they just fucking kill you? They're like, Whoa, you're so weak. I'm going to kill you later. I'll kill you later. And then and they I go, leave. why didn't you just kill me now when you could? Uh, right? but- and so I always hate it when you have a narrative that features uh, a villain who just sits there going, Whoa, yeah, you can't but, possibly stop me. But Archminos is basically like, wait, Rolf Lamb's dead? You mean I can go? You mean I can leave? I'm going to leave. My con- that means my contract <laughs> yeah, is up. My contract is up. That means I can leave. Uh, let me put on my Heelys and sl- and skate on out of here. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> Heelys. Uh, and, and, and so I, I do like doing that because now we present somebody who is too powerful for you and also just doesn't want to fucking be yeah so he gave us his notes on bloodvale and uh we gave him some money and he left (laughs) yep um and you found this uh box full of vials that had all these blood samples and you're yes and uh i believe the assumption that you had was that the vials were the uh were the people that were having blood samples taken yeah the blood samples from yeah yeah, um, but I don't know. I don't know if we got into this. Those blood vials, uh, if you were to do like blood biography on them, those people aren't from Corvosa. Oh, yeah. He he just brought in his own blood. He brought his own blood to to drink to sustain him. <laughs> and if you were to actually <laughs> look at it, like like fucking twelve packs of juice boxes. <laughs> yeah. If you were to actually look at the vials and like do blood biography on them and stuff like that, uh-huh. you would find out that these are all citizens of Varno County in Ustalav, where he's from. <laughs> I only have locally sourced blood. Yeah. Your blood, the blood here tastes weird. <laughs> it's like, yeah. like when you go to someplace else and the water tastes yeah. weird. <laughs> um, but, but it also, it also, uh, this is also another case where it, uh, it raises an important question that I don't know if we've even uh, brought enough attention to where we are right now in the game, which is we just finished book three, which is where are the other blood samples going? Yeah. That's a very interesting question. You had the Queen's physicians were taking blood samples from everyone. They were. Where are the blood samples going, Daph? I don't know. Interesting question, though, isn't it? It is. Yeah. It's a very interesting um, question. Uh, I wonder Sac- why Rain is drawing all this attention to this thing. Sacrifices must be made. Uh, hold on. That hasn't been set up yet. Oh, shit. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. This is the thing that we talked about. Uh, I, I mean, we can talk about it here a little bit. Uh, so in, in, our, in our discussion of... Uh, of uh, the events of book two, there is there is sort of a a meta narrative of law enforcement people demanding more of citizens, and sort of the idea being that oh, well, sacrifices must be made to uh to to do weather, something to weather this to weather the event, storm. To, yeah. and, and the important thing being. That that the the verbiage that they're using in a lot of cases is sacrifices must be made in sort of the the terminology that people often say when weathering a hardship is that, well, we all have to give up something in order to come out the other side better. Right. But there is an important uh, other side to this statement. Sacrifices must be made. Why? 
we must make sacrifices. And we don't really know entirely why yet or to whom, but there is the, there is the, uh, the, the magical element of making sacrifices to gain power, uh, which, you know, why am I drawing all this attention to this? Is somebody making sacrifices? I don't know. Do you think Rain would be talking about this so much if somebody wasn't using all of these sacrifices mm. to do something? I don't know. We're making a giant alchemical symbol that encircles the entire city of Formosa. <laughs> uh, yeah, by digging it out slowly through uh, the use of a, <laughs> a, a, an enormous monster. <laughs> yes. Uh, I don't know. Why, why is Rain drawing us all this attention no, to this? No, no we're know. just referencing Full Metal Alchemist yeah. Brotherhood. Yeah, uh, if you haven't watched... <laughs> If you ever watch Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, you should watch it. It's it's a big inspiration for a lot of things that happen here. <laughs> um, but anyway, you, you defeat Ramoska Arkminos, and then we get to go on to the final fight. Uh, you did get this lovely place where you have all of the disease being filtered through these Leucodamon uh, things. Daemons being uh, people, uh, being people, <laughs> daemons being creatures from uh, the realm uh the extra planar realm known as Abaddon, uh, that um, daemons are servants of the horsemen of the apocalypse. Uh, Luca daemons more specifically being the from the horsemen of pestilence. Uh, and so the idea behind this machinery, we didn't really get into that because none of you guys really know knowledge engineering very well. <laughs> um, the idea behind this, this refinery that they have going down here, because this is a refinery. Yes. Because they were taking... The original, fuck. They're taking the original disease, right? Which was a disease called Voral's Phage. Yes. And they're trying to refine it into something even deadlier, right? Yeah. And so you have the vats in which we sort of, uh, we sort of collect uh, infected liquid to spread, the, to spread the infection to more liquid so that you can distribute it more, mm -hmm. right? But then the next room is the, uh, is the, uh, chamber that containing the leucodamons where we pass the we pass the the infected water through mm -hmm. and fortify the disease and yes. make it worse because it's infected by this aura that leucodamons have that actually infect people with the disease yes and so we use the this extra planar power that they have to make the disease worse mm -hmm. and then we send it on to the final room which is a shrine to ergothoa where it can be blessed by this high priest of Ergothoa, Lady Andesen. Yes. Um, and so you get to this fountain where there is this pool of blood veil. Yeah. Which has been, which has been fortified by extraplanar energy by way of uh, filtering it through glass chambers containing leucodamons. Yes. And then put into this room where it can be uh, magic, it can be uh, divinely fortified yes. by a shrine to Ergothoa, yes. featuring a giant statue of Ergothoa, and a high priest of Ergothoa mm -hmm. blessing it, mm -hmm. and also having these seven humors. Oh uh, yeah, which mix around. It's uh, pretty gross. <laughs> which uh, basically, uh, the the this was another way of me tying in Lasala, whose symbol is a seven pointed star, ah. uh, into uh, a thing that's actually featured in the book, which is the seven humors of the blood bile sweat tears um mucus uh pus oh, we're gonna we're gonna look it up yes the uh yeah so this this the temple features the seven 
scourges. Ah, uh, scourges. Of which are seven fluids, which are uh, bile, blood, milk, phlegm, pus, sweat, and tears, um, which uh, are spontaneously generate within Urgothoan shrines. Ew! Uh, in specially prepared basins uh, deep in her temples. They spontaneously generate? Yes. Oh! Um, excuse me. And, um, yeah, these are generated by consecrating an area to Urgothoa. <laughs> and so the idea was that that then we're now fortifying Bloodvale with the seven, seven I scourges. Just, I just, I just... You consecrate, you desecrate an area to Urgothoa, and then it just starts oozing fluids. Yep. <laughs> well, it, 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 the, the fluids spontaneously generate in specially prepared basins. Ah. So the basins fill with these fluids. Okay. Uh, they don't just like <laughs> slurp out onto the ground. Um, okay. But yeah. Um, and and so here you fought Andason. Yes. And you had a, a two-phase boss fight, which mm -hmm. I love. So good. I love two-phase boss so fights. So good. Um, uh, three-phase boss fights I get a little tired of, but yeah. two phases, I find, at least for tabletop games. Yeah. I think two, two phases is the sweet spot for tabletop games mm -hmm. because everything else goes down in one in one phase. Yeah. But if you put a second phase on, now it's serious. Yeah, yeah. And um, uh, basically this, uh, you... You had this first phase where she sort of just buffed herself and walked around taunting, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, then you killed her, uh -huh. and her body fell into the pool. <laughs> and we're like, oh no, oh no. <laughs> Sacrifices must be made. <laughs> and uh, we pulled her out of the pool, we flung her body, and it hung in the air. Uh-huh. And, and uh, the seven scourges uh, swirled around her. And created her a nice new gooey body. Ew. Which is a daughter of Urgothoa. Which was... With that scythe arm. A nightmare. It was... Yeah. That was... It was quite a fight. We were using the very last dregs of our, of our strength, of our, mm -hmm. uh, of our spells. I think, I think it's... I think this is one of the best dungeon crawls we've ever had. It's very good. In that, you know, it came down to... A situation where you had nothing left. Yeah, Lenore. Uh, Lenore died. Lenore died. Cinder uh, was out of Bane. Yeah, uh, Damien almost died. Damien almost Actually, died. Actually, yeah. uh, I did learn recently uh, that was also a missed call on my part. Damien should have fallen to his death. Oh. Yeah. Oh, do you not float down when you don't float down? Oh, because damn it. you can't make the fly checks on your round, and so you fall. Oh, I thought it. Oh, no, no, no. I no. Thought it, if, my, if the spell is still up, you can't make the fly checks on your round. Fuck. Uh, okay. And you would fall. Sorry. Because the spell's not out. Oh. Yeah. The now, if your spell ends while you're locked, you gently float down. But the spell was still active, and so you would need to make a fly check in order to do it. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Uh, That's strange. It is strange. <laughs> uh, Pathfinder's strange. The fly spell is written as extremely unforgiving. Yeah. Uh, and so you would fall. Damn. Uh, I found this actually in an FAQ. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, uh, I was I was not aware of that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, so Damien should have fallen to his death. Well, I'm glad he didn't. Uh, now, I'm, I'm not about to go back and like re-record stuff. But, but keep <laughs> in mind, keep in mind in the future yes. is if you go unconscious while flying, you will fall. He fell gently into a bed of pillows. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> He fell right onto Lenore's body, which is very soft. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, you, you guys were at the last limit 
of your strength when you finally defeat it. Yeah. And Dason. And yeah. Dason, of course, revealed uh, the important fact, which is that she was hired by the queen. Yes. But now you guys were left with the situation where you really didn't have anything linking the queen to it except what yeah. Andason said. Yeah. And you couldn't take Andason alive. <laughs> and it's and it's really hard to just roll out of the hospice of the Blessed Maiden covered in blood being like, yeah, we killed all the people who were supposedly treating people for blood veil because they were evil. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you also now, this is an important part. You didn't try to do this, mm. but you also can't speak with dead on Andason either. Oh. Because she's she turned into an right, undead. Right, because she turned into an undead. Yeah. yeah. Um, shit and and so you have no way to link it back to Iliosa uh, but Andason did say Iliosa was behind it yeah so we had we had a bit of evidence that Duvalis was up to fuckery uh, that we brought out and were able to you know get the Grey Maidens to um, not kill us then and there mm -hmm. by convincing them that there was at the very least some sort of conspiracy going on yeah. within the Queen's physicians yep uh, that, which, that that could not be refuted. Which the Grey Maidens were... The gray, I, I really like the positioning by the Grey Maidens here. In that there were Grey Maidens in the hospice defending mm -hmm. the Queen's position. There weren't any Grey Maidens in the Temple of Ergothoa. Yeah. Which means they have plausible de deniability. <laughs> now, it's, it's not really clear at this point if the Grey Maidens did or didn't know about the Temple of Ergothoa beneath. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it, it's obviously questionable. Um, but, but importantly, by not having any gray maidens below, they do have the plausible deniability that if there, oh, if it turns out there was a conspiracy, oh my gosh, <gasps> can you believe that the, the, so the, our people were being manipulated by Dr. <sighs> Duvalis? Horrible. This is so horrible. Um, also, uh, we had, we got to have a really good scene where, uh, Unia, brought Lenore back from the dead. Oh, right. And yeah. Lenore got to see Shadow Aridin. Yeah. Uh, and so we got that knowledge that, um, you know, although uh, we're still not quite sure what the deal is, at the very least, some vestige of Aridin remains to be giving Uni other spells. Yeah. Um, which actually um, brings me up, brings, brings me uh, to one of the things that I wanted to talk about, um, which is... Um, uh, I sort of wanted to talk about this at the very end here. Uh, any other stuff related to the actual events that happened during this part? Um, well, uh, Queen Iliosa got to have a very public execution of all of the people who were yes. uh, involved, which was, you know. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, just for this scene, oh, the scene itself. No, no, no. Okay. That's so I did want to talk a little bit about the the Shadow Aridin thing. Uh, yeah. Because um, this was sort of this is a really big moment for for yeah everything yeah. Um, yeah. So what was going through your mind when uh, this scene started? God. Um, so you have Lenore dead. Yeah. Uh, you were guys were about to walk out without looting the fucking room, <laughs> which I went, do you guys want to loot the room? Oh, yeah. We were like, <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, I guess we could do that. <laughs> uh, you had this this lovely thing where, where Center's like got tears streaming down her face, carrying Lenore out. I was like, and me knowing that there's a fucking scroll of resurrect of, res of raised dead there. I was like, do you want to loot the room first? Yeah. So we got the scroll of Ray's dead. Um, and we we took it. So we destroyed the uh, the altar area. Mm -hmm. um, we took Lenore into one of the side rooms. I think the coat room. Um, yeah. We defaced all of the uh, Ergotho and shit there with chalk. 
uh, and drew some, uh, Sinter drew some symbols of Vonimos, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and Unia uh, began casting the spell. And I was, I was concerned. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what if it doesn't work? Mm -hmm. um, what if Lenore sees whoever it is that's bringing her back and decides she doesn't want to come back to that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and this is an important, uh, a little known part of the rules text of uh, of uh, resurrection magic, right? Uh, is uh, if you actually read through the magic rules, right? Um, not, not the spell itself, but um, there's a section in the core rulebook related to how the schools of magic work, right? Um, let me see. Um, bringing people back from the dead. Uh, I'll, just, I'll just read through this ex ex uh, example real quick. This is under, the, uh, this is under special spell effects. Um, so several spells have the power to restore slain creatures to life. When a living creature dies, its soul departs its body, leaves the material plane, travels through the astral plane and goes to abide on the plane where the creature's deity resides. If the creature did not worship a deity, its soul departs to the plane corresponding to its alignment. Um, bringing someone back from the dead involves magically retrieving the soul and returning it to his body. For more information on the plane, see environment. Uh, so uh, you gain negative levels. Now enemies can take, uh, uh, <clears throat> uh, can take action to prevent somebody from returning to life. Like you can cast stuff like trap the soul, prevent revivification but importantly you can't be revivified against your will mm -hmm. so a soul uh can't be returned to life if it doesn't wish to be a soul knows the name alignment and patron deity if any of the creature attempting to revive it and may refuse to return on that basis now you didn't get the alignment mm -hmm. because Unia doesn't know their alignment yeah and uh, apparently Aridan doesn't know their alignment <laughs> um, or the thing that you that is presenting its power as being Aridan does not know its alignment. Um, and, um, uh, uh, you know, you know, these things of the character attempting to revive it and may refuse to return on that basis. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And now there's nothing in it that specifically says that you would see all the things that Lenore saw. But I thought it was a really great moment. It was really cool. I got to give you something at some point. It was really cool. Yeah. So I, I was sitting there. Um, I, you know, have always had my own theories as to what is potentially going on with Unia. Uh, we've based their uh, cleric abilities off of an archetype of an ex-cleric called Channeler of the Unknown, yes. which is where they got their darkness domain, which is if you are... Uh, uh, Sharp-eyed, you would know, is not one of Aridin's domains. Yes. Um, yeah. Um, just for anybody who is uh, not familiar with this, let me pull him up. Uh, okay. So Aridin, uh, Aridin was uh, this god who was seen as the patron of humanity. Um, uh, he raised the Starstone uh, from, the, from the sea and created the Isle of Kortos, where Absalom now rests. Uh, and in so doing, became a god. He is the last survivor of Aslant, uh, who led this glorious age of uh, humanity mm -hmm. as they came out of the Age of Darkness. Uh, and <clears throat> excuse me, he has like all these great heroic achievements. Uh, he's known as the Living God, the last of the first humans, etc. His domain, uh, let me see, his uh, domains were 
community, glory, knowledge, law, and protection. But Unia has access to darkness. Yep. Uh, which is not one of those domains. It's not mm -hmm. a subdomain. It, it nope. doesn't actually have anything to do with Aroden's <laughs> so portfolio. I was concerned that it might be Zon Kuthan. I was concerned it might be uh, a neutral, evil, um, uh, sort of divine, divine spell-giving creature called like a Sakiel Tormentor, but who take advantage of vulnerable people who want uh, hope and use it to corrupt them. Um, I was concerned it might be a demon lord. You know, there's all these things where I'm like, oh no, that's somebody yeah. who somebody's tricking Union, making them think that they're getting spells from Eridan, but actually they're serving some uh, some evil purpose mm -hmm. uh, as they're being slowly corrupted into you know uh, doing evil things. Yeah. Uh, and um, you know, uh, actually, uh, one fun thing, uh, I actually uh, went out and asked a few of our listeners, having listened to this, what did they think was happening? And of course, uh, there is now a little bit more credence to something related to, to Zon Kathan, uh -huh. because, of course, what you saw, we've, we later learned to be uh, that it looks like this fragment of Aridin is being held in uh, Zovacane, yes. uh, which is the, the realm of Zon Kuthan on the Shadow Plane. Uh -huh. Uh, basically, um, Zonkuthon is a deity of torment and pain and suffering and darkness, uh, who uh, was, he was originally the brother of Shellen, which is actually Lenore's uh, patron deity. Uh, and he went out uh, into uh, this place called, uh, this, this place called the Dark Tapestry, which is just the, the space between the stars. And came back warped and corrupted. Like he was originally a good god of beauty and art and stuff. And he went out into the dark tapestry and came back corrupted. Uh, and uh, inflicted all these horrific uh, punishments on people. And was actually locked away by Abadar. And Abadar actually locked him away with this, uh, this uh, stipulation. That he would be imprisoned for as long as the sun uh uh would rise and fall right basically as long I, I don't remember the exact wording but it was as long as the sun rises and sets over galaria and he would be imprisoned so of course <laughs> the age of darkness came along yes and then this and he got out because <laughs> Ab and abadar kind of goes oh you rascal <laughs> you goes, found a loophole you found a loophole and so so he gets out he gets out of his prison but then just turns his prison into a stronghold uh, for the torment of uh, basically the twisting of mortal souls into his divine servitors, which are uh, outsiders known as chitons, which basically or, or Velstrax if you're into Velstrax if you're into E, um, uh, and uh, basically chitons are created by peeling away all aspects of humanity uh, from people who actually come willingly. To their service um which uh raises a an interesting uh parallel that i hadn't thought of yet but i'm now thinking of which <laughs> is that uh if we're peeling away the remains of a person's humanity and eridan is the god of humanity yeah then is this the is this eridan uh this fragment of eridan that remains the god of the humanity that these uh uh servitors have it's thrown good, away it's a good question um but yeah i, I actually pulled some of our listeners uh, to see what they thought about what's actually ah. going on with with uh, Aridin, and uh, I thought I might share a few of them with you. All right, all right. Um, now I I didn't ask for permission for for sharing these, 
So I'm going to just leave him anonymous. Um, right. Now, um, one of our, uh, one of our uh, listeners, uh, who's actually also running Curse of the Crimson Throne, had an interesting theory. Oh. Uh, is that he thinks that it, it could be linked to uh, Echo of Lost Divinity, which I believe is, a, is, the, is the Herald of Phrasma. Oh, um, yeah. Let me see. Uh, Echo of Lost Divinity. Yeah, yeah. Um, excuse me, excuse me. I don't know if it's a Herald of Phrasma. I think it's a psychopomp. Uh, but anyway, the, basically, this is supposed to be somebody who's in the service of Phrasma that looks like Aridin, uh-huh. um, uh, but doesn't seem to know uh, who they are or what they're doing. Right? Mm, um, interesting. Uh, and so one of these one of one of our listeners thought that the that this could be uh, the echo of lost divinity uh, uh, supplying power to Unia. Mm, uh, interesting. And then they said uh, that they also think that it could be that when Aridin died, his petitioning soul was trapped by Zonkathon and brought here. Uh, and so now basically Zonkathon has trapped a god soul uh-huh. uh, to for his own purposes. But that soul is now reaching out and actually giving spells. Uh-huh, um, interesting. One, there's uh, one of our listeners, uh, one of our friends from uh, the, one of my friends from the Glass Cannon uh, fan server uh, actually has a theory that I can't talk about because it deals with stuff that hasn't happened yet in the book. God damn it. <laughs> he's, also, he's also running Curse of the Crimson Throne. Um, uh, thank you for giving your theory. Maybe, you I, your maybe I will get to hear it I, I, will, I will say that. That's, that's, uh, that's Darby. Oh, uh, thanks, Darby. Uh, one of the one of the young <laughs> folks listening to the show that keeps us young. <laughs> um, but um, uh, I'll be honest his his theories his theory's good, <laughs> but I can't fucking talk about it. Um, uh, now one who I think will be perfectly comfortable with us sharing this is uh, Prince of Spades, Mike Farnach. Hey, Mike, Mike Farnach, uh, Prince of Spades, Mike Farnach, uh, who does think that it's actually him mm-hmm. uh, being kept and twisted in a tormented state by Zankathon. Interesting. Um, uh, That's, that seems to, that I, I would say that is consistent with what we know so far. Yeah. Um, um, one of them thinks that uh, Dobral, which is the old name for uh, Zankathon, uh, uh-huh. went after him after he chitinified uh, his dad. Uh-huh. Famously, um, Dobral and Shellen's father uh, was a powerful deity in his own right. Uh, and then uh, after Dobral got turned into Zonkathon, he went and captured him and tormented and and turned him into what is he called the Prince in Chains? Yes. Now? And now he's like a a wolf that's all like all fucked up. Yeah. Uh, and he's I think he's now uh, Zonkathon's herald, isn't he? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and so uh, one of one of our listeners thought that uh, basically after doing that, uh, uh, Zonkathon went, okay, I'm gonna go grab Erden. And try and do it to him. And try to do it to him. And so mm. maybe he's somewhere along in that path. Interesting. Um, Elizabeth Wilcox of Dimension Door uh, had uh, a pretty pretty, uh, pretty interesting theory that I'm going to just share. I'm just going to share exactly what she said to us. Which is, is, she said, I've been contemplating this. And I must say, the last episode had me reading up on Zonkathon. And I thank you for that. Because I'd never realized how incredibly dark and awesome his lore is. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like it's Zonkathon is too obvious, though. Uh, I've got no real great reason to think it, but it would feel really thematically fitting if it was Sifkesh, which is actually a very interesting deity. I don't know if you, have you read about Sifkesh? Uh, I, Sifkesh. I, oh, sorry. I don't think so. Sifkesh is a demon lord. 
uh, who looks to corrupt souls, having deception and loss as subdomains. Um, her highest ambition is the fracturing of a good, devout person's faith through careful seduction, leading them to apostasy. Yes. Uh, it is said her greatest joy lies in witnessing the moment when a corrupted priest realizes how far they have sank and seeks suicide as the answer, forever damning their soul to her abyssal realm of uh, Vantian. Ah, yes. Uh, now, now that you say that, I, that was uh, I did um, find that demon lord when I was looking up potential uh, people who might be tricking Unia. Um, but yeah, uh, that bringing that back up makes me go, hmm. When when they realize just how far they've fallen away from their faith because of the deception of the demon lord, like. Hmm, concerned face. Yeah. I don't feel like Uni has been uh, driven to do anything that's really reprehensible yet by mm -hmm. their god, but not. It's it's I'm possible. Be on the that for yeah, it's possible that the that um, it, you know, if it's Sifkesh, she's just biding her time. <laughs> concern, concern. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and w when we were actually starting, I actually uh, had you brainstorm. Mm -hmm. uh, I was like, here, look at all these darkness domain deities. Mm -hmm. uh, and I believe Sifkesh was on that list. Yes. Um, yeah. uh, so there, there's actually a bunch of great darkness domain deities. Most mm -hmm. of them evil. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, there's actually one really fun one uh, that I like, which is a, actually a lawful good deity who's darkness domain, which is oh, yeah. Kelanahet. Whose uh, whose whole thing is uh, espionage? Yes, yes. Actually, when we did uh when we did uh, Super Smash Finder, I actually made my uh my rogue a uh, worshiper of Kelinahet, uh, who I didn't know about until we did that look yeah. for things that Aridin could be. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but anyway, yeah, we've gone uh, on, a, on a, uh, yeah. a for a while. Anyway, the this. real answer to that is still in an unopened envelope in my desk. It is. <laughs> yeah, uh, one of the things that I did when we started this game was I, I wrote down the answer to what the deal with Aridin is, and I put it in an envelope and sealed it and put it in Def's desk. Yep, it's um, still there. It's I haven't still opened there. it. I haven't opened it. Now I'm thinking about it again. Yep. <laughs> now you're thinking about it again. Uh, the, the goal, of course, is when, when sufficient evidence has been gained that you can draw uh, what you feel like is a final conclusion, mm -hmm. and, I, and I feel that you have enough evidence to make a final conclusion. Yeah. You then, can open the envelope. Yeah, then we play the who wants to be a millionaire music and uh, we have an ominous silence and I open the envelope and we see whether or not I've won a million dollars. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully by then the show has made a million dollars that I can withhold from Daft. Uh, and if Daft doesn't get it right, I get to spend that million dollars on whatever I want. <laughs> Hopefully some of its presents for me. No. <laughs> buy a yacht. <laughs> <laughs> and you won't be allowed on it. <laughs> I don't know what I would spend a million dollars on that you wouldn't also benefit from. <laughs> yeah. There, there's nothing. Our lives, our lives are inextricably intertwined. Damn yes. it. <laughs> Damn it. Oh, it's you married like, me. It's almost like we're married. <laughs> No, but like anything, anything I can think of wanting would be something that I would share with you. Yeah. Oh. oh, you're so cute. But let, don't let that stop you from giving us a million dollars. Still give us a million dollars. And if the reason you're giving us a million dollars is because you want me to withhold it from Daft, make sure you note that on the memo line of the check because, you know, we got to make sure 
that it's spent properly. Yeah, and then uh, Rain can just put it in an envelope and tell me not to open it and put it in my desk. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. Um, you can only open this envelope if you get the other one right. <laughs> Otherwise, I open the envelope and then I go cash the check. <laughs> um but yeah uh i think that's we had a public execution for all the uh remaining members of uh the queen's physicians Mm -hmm. uh Uh, iliosa was very very sad that this happened and she was so upset and so very sorry then when it actually came time to kill them she had she 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 was like she was stoic as fuck yeah like she she like like uh one of the things that i draw attention to is this fact that she doesn't give a fuck about these people mm-hmm. like like when they actually start getting executed she's just like it's collateral damage yep you know yeah. i can't have any of them talking can i yeah um in the, and we thank the cover of night for being instrumental gave, in uncovering this conspiracy she gave you fucking gift cards here's some gift cards <laughs> she gave you gift cards she gave us gift cards same as cash at any shop in in corvosa <laughs> Here, uh, let me shake your hand. Yeah. Uh, um. Now, uh, and that's book two. Yeah, and I think there was was there was there a moment where we where we rolled bluff to see if uh, she could tell that we knew uh, that she was in on it. I think so. Uh, when and you failed. We didn't roll very high. <laughs> and, and 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 so you sort of actually tipped your hand. Hmm. Uh. It's like, oh, the way the way that you're grimacing at me. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. You sort of tipped your hand. Yeah. Uh in doing so. So we're a little bit uh we're a little bit concerned that uh, she knows that we know that she we was know in that we know. Did yeah, you ever see a lot this way and that? that? Um and you know, so moving forward out of book two, uh we are in a bit of a tenuous situation in which uh the queen knows that we know that she was involved, but mm-hmm. we are also so beloved by the city yeah. uh, for curing blood veil mm-hmm. that nothing can happen to us right now. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's actually um, one of the things that I really like with Pathfinder Adventure Paths is the way that the different books of the Adventure Paths sort of differentiate themselves in tone. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, w- book one of Curse is sort of about um, uh, a city, a city in panic. Right. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's about riots and it's about all this stuff. And then book two is, of course, about the the, the epidemic. Yeah. Right. And dealing with disease and quarantine and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Book three, I really like because <laughs> it's it's kind of a spy game. Yeah. Like where there's a little bit of a cat and mouse thing going on where y- like, you know, in you both have information. Right. Mm-hmm. But you can't act on it directly. Yep. Without exposing yourselves. Yeah. Right. And and it's it's this difficult thing of of, um, you know, trying to get more information without also alerting the people that you're getting the information on. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, the music is coming to tell us to shut the fuck up. <laughs> there's a there's a bit of figuring out who's the mouse and who's the cat. Yes. Um, now, uh, sorry, music. I'm, I'm not going to allow you to cut us off. We do have a couple questions. All right, all right. Uh, that uh, were sent in. Uh, actually, let me get my random NPC generator. I'm going to give some random names to these questions. <laughs> um, 
fantasy name, name generators.com. Let me see. Pathfinder names. GM's best friend. It is. If you can, like, they have a donate button. If you can, you should donate a little bit of money to fantasynamegenerators.com. Ooh, their, their, their Pathfinder thing actually has this uh, tableau of fighting the Grey Maidens in Queen Eliosa. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. Um, let's go with human names. Actually, no, let's go with gnome names. Let's gnome get some questions names. from gnomes. I love gnomes. I don't get enough of gnomes. You spell, you spell names G-N-A-M-E-S. Yes. Gnome names. Goodness. Uh, <laughs> so our first question in, our first question comes in from Schmatgrack. <laughs> Schmatgrack asks, what was your favorite part of the book? What was your favorite part of the book, Daphne? Mm, there were a lot of really good parts. Mm -hmm. uh, if if I had to pick a part that's uh, you know not completely uh, soaked in despair and pain, I really liked the playdate between Kester Aww. and Brianna. I thought that was extremely cute. Anytime Kester is in the show, it just like lifts my heart a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and there's something that was very precious about that. Um, rescuing um, Majenko, the house drake, was also oh, was really up there uh, in just for sheer uh, heartwarming cuteness. Um, but I think uh, killing Doctor Devalis, I, I uh, also really is, like is really really the 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 peak. Yeah, uh, I think there. I think killing Doctor Devalis is the centerpiece. Yeah, you know, um, there was there and was Jason's, something... and Jason is the final boss. Yeah, but I I almost feel like Andason is just the dessert. Yeah, Devalis is really is the killing, main course. Is killing Devalis. Because he's he's fucked you over this whole time. He sent you on a lot of bullshit missions that he hoped mm -hmm. you would die on. Um and when the time comes uh to start taking out uh the hospice and destroying it what's underneath it, he taunts you from the the fucking air vents and yeah. uh spends a lot of time just like mocking your your path. And he he spends so long pretending to be your friend, mm -hmm. and then it turns out he's possibly the worst human being on the planet. Yeah, and killing him was so good. Killing him, killing him was good. It was really um, satisfying. Yeah, and uh, it's actually uh, there's there's actually kind of a structure in this uh, that that I really like doing in adventure paths. Uh, that you usually have a boss that I will I, I call them the gate boss. Yeah, right. They are the boss that that blocks entry to the dungeon right mm -hmm. and um we've actually seen this in a lot of adventures that we've run right yes like in iron gods in book four spoilers for iron gods by the way um there is a dungeon that is defended by a like basically there's actually a, several dungeons that do this yes where they have a really difficult encounter at the front of the dungeon mm -hmm. you defeat that and then Get you can you all nice and softened up yeah. for the rest and then, of the and dungeon. then you can go through and there's a few actually pretty weak encounters before you actually start hitting mini bosses and I really like I really like that structure because it it sets expectation. You know? Yeah. And so Devolus set some fucking expectations mm -hmm. for the for the Church of Urgothala. Yeah. Greater invisibility was pretty scary. Um Yeah. He was the first guy we ran into with greater invisibility. Mm -hmm. Um I actually did a rebuild on him. Uh his yeah. original build uh he, does he... does suffer from uh uh some of the uh uh, stuff that you often find in in Paizo Adventure Paths, in that they they wanted to give him as much health as possible without like a lot of class features. Mm -hmm. Um, and so he was he was a bard, aristocrat, rogue. 
Mm. Uh, and I rebuilt him as a uh, as, an as as an alchemist. Yeah, actually, one of my favorite al- uh, alchemist archetypes is the vivisectionist alchemist. Yes, which I, I did because he's a doctor. Yes, um, it, the vivisectionist alchemist is really really cool. It's an alchemist that does sneak attack. Yeah, it is an uh, alchemist with the sneak attack instead of throwing bombs. It's is very uh, cool. I also made a joke about that at one point about him giving up the ability to throw bombs because he's a vivisectionist alchemist. <laughs> Um, anyway, yeah, um, my favorite part of the adventure, it was, it was killing Dr. Duvalis. Yeah. Like, like to me, the whole point of the adventure is to fucking kill some Nazis. Yes. Uh, and so killing our, our in-universe Goebbels equivalent, uh, it was, uh, I, I, that's, that's what I, that's why I wanted to run the book is yeah. to kill that fucker. Yeah. Right? And he's, he's fucking dead. And I, I was very happy when he Stabbed died. him and he bled um, out in an elevator. More positive things. I mean, I mean, maybe not in a more positive, but um, I really liked doing the uh, the Shadow Airden stuff. At the yeah, end. that was real. That was really fun uh. for me. It's also a case where um, I did all of that off the cuff. Um, I mean, the the information that I presented is stuff that I've had prepared for months, but the scene itself I did uh, off the cuff. And I, I really love times so where I get to, you know, just improv and give information that I've been really holding good. onto for a long time. It was really good. I thought that the the descriptions you had in that section were absolutely stunning. Yeah. Very good. I love I love describing planar shit. It's um, really cool. It's, and you know, a lot of this adventure is actually pretty grounded. Mm. So we don't get a lot of like extra planar stuff. Mm. But I do like describing like the interesting interactions of the planes when we actually get into it. Oh, uh, honorable mention for things that I I like. I really liked Ophelia's solo adventure with Blackjack. That was really fun. Uh, it was not more nice, like little Metal Gear adventure. Yeah, yeah. Actually, that was really a James Bond sort of thing. Yeah. I, you know, I, I also really love it because um, we sort of uh, have talked about this idea that um, Ophelia is kind of like kind of like a female James Bond. Yeah. And and I think that that adventure was really good because you also get this like love them and leave them yeah, sort of yeah. like double um, make care thing yeah, going I'm here, on. Yeah, I'm here and I, I sleep with a pretty woman, but it's really to gather information. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I like it in that uh, it, it sort of leans into a lot of James Bond tropes, mm-hmm. um, but it's also gay. Yeah. Uh, and, and so... Um, <laughs> And like James Bond, but gay is, I think, a great aspiration to have in in uh, a story that you tell. She sneaks around. <laughs> she has gadgets. Yes. Uh, she we we set a place on fire. Yes. <laughs> uh, you have lots of villains that Lo- yeah. hate you. Yeah. You know. <laughs> I, I and need- I and I get away in a daring escape, having taken what I wanted. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Da 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 da. Our royalty-free James Bond music equivalent. <laughs> anyway, um, let's see. Uh, next question comes in from Desultikton Vizbobs. <laughs> Desultikton writes in, "What was the most difficult part or element to prep for? Uh, how about as a player? What was the most difficult thing to prep for?" I mean, prepping for dungeons is always hard, um, but I think the most difficult part um, in in the sort of just the general day to day was when Lenore was cursed and couldn't really do combat. Oof. Yeah, that was um, that was really rough because um, it was sort of like I had to uh, go about my business and hope that I didn't get 
uh, in any situations where people were going to start getting hurt because mm-hmm. my main fighter couldn't really fight. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also, you know, just emotionally taxing. Yeah. Like, and, and um, yeah. You know, I know, I know we, we talked about this a little bit uh, in the adventure. Uh, like the like one of the ep- the episode I think after you had your first full day of being cursed mm-hmm. is that um, we did you know Lenore's long had a lot of elements of depression and anxiety mm-hmm. that you know you know we both kind of deal with uh, yeah you I think more so than me um, and so we sort of used the time being cursed to explore those feelings a little more yeah and ended up getting a little raw. Yeah, it ended up getting a little raw. Um, now, importantly, uh, I want to make this absolutely clear. We weren't equating those feelings to being cursed. No, yeah, absolutely that, not. These, these are these are emotions that Lenore has already been dealing with. She starts the adventure dealing with depression so bad that she can't get out of bed. Yeah. And being cursed sort of exacerbated uh, the, the yeah. uh, pre-existing that, condition. Yeah, that it made had. her feel like she couldn't trust the support system that she'd built over the course of a yeah. book and a half. Um, um, and, but I think it, I think it's, it's one of those things that we really couldn't explore this kind of thing in a large group mm-hmm. because, you know, anytime you have a group of like four or five people or more, mm-hmm. right. This, 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 this sort of, uh, intimacy, uh, kind of by its nature creates an uncomfortable situation for other people to be in. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I really liked I, I mean, I know we, I know we didn't like stick with it, but I really liked getting into it, yeah, and yeah. just sort of exploring it and realizing, hey, maybe this might be a little too much for us, yeah. But yeah. the fact that we were able to like get into it a little yeah. bit and and recognize, you know, yeah, and and I and I felt that it was something interesting for Lenore to go through anyway, yeah. Um, yeah. and you and, know, you know, one of, yeah. one of the important things for me is is um, while while I do want to explore like topics that might be more difficult to do in a large group. I, you know, I don't want to make you uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. And so I do. I also like that we were able to have that conversation mm-hmm. and say, "Hey, this is probably too far." Yeah, uh, yeah. And then bring it back a little. Yeah, bit. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, uh, you know, um, the only, as I said, the only mechanical thing that needed to happen there is you're staggered all the time. Yep. Yep. Um. um it yeah. It, it was also um a little bit resource taxing in just the, the mechanics way in mm-hmm. that, uh, Unia, my, my cleric, uh, they got their third level spells, uh, <laughs> that they would, you know, have liked to have used to prep, remove disease every day. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they curse. also, but yeah, but they had to prep, remove curse. And then I couldn't roll above a 10 for the life of me. I had to roll a 16 on the caster level check. My characters were level five at the time. Yeah. Uh, and, I couldn't, I just had to roll an 11 or higher. There's a 50% chance of doing that. Mm-hmm. I could not do it the four or five times I tried, and I could not make the will save the four or five times that I tried, and it was just maddening. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, now I think, I, think we, I think we've talked about this enough. The, you know, the most emotionally difficult uh, and, and, and intellectually difficult thing for me was prepping Devalis. Um, mm. just getting into that headspace, uh, and, and inhabiting that role yeah, was fucking tough. Yeah. Um, yeah. especially, especially like in the times where he had to be, uh, you know, like I, I, I do like playing villains and doing yeah. these horrible things, Yeah, but there is a point where I go, okay, this might be too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and playing Devalis was tough. Yeah. Uh, I think it was made better 
by the fact that I did this ridiculous Nicolas Cage impression. Yeah. <laughs> um, that if if it weren't for that ridiculous voice, I could never have done Davalis. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, and then so you know, it's it's this balancing act of you know you don't want to make him too silly because the stuff he's doing is fucking diabolical. Yeah. Um, yeah. But he has to be silly enough that I can fucking live with myself when yeah, I play yeah, the character. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I suppose, yeah, I suppose it helps uh, that, you know, when you're when you're doing your, uh, when you're doing Duvalis' prepare, uh, prepared speeches mm-hmm. uh, designed to lead us into a place where we might die, um, I keep giggling through it. Yeah, 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 and that, that helps. Uh, now, uh, interestingly, though, the most mechanically difficult thing to prep for was uh, the direction. Because ah. I had to learn all of the fucking uh, underwater combat rules. Oh, God. And, oh, my God. Underwater combat is so fucking complicated. Oh, God. Mm. And um, it's more complicated than you think. Yeah. And it's more complicated than you think, even if you think you've read the rules. <laughs> <laughs> um, and interestingly, most of this was completely invalidated because you had a surface to brace against. <laughs> <laughs> and so we didn't need to use most of the... Uh, most of the underwater combat rules. Hey, Rain, what if I'd have tried to grapple somebody? You would have died. <laughs> Immediately. <laughs> All creatures that initiate a grapple will die immediately. Initiate a grapple. Am I off balance? Are they off balance? You're dead. <laughs> You're dead. They're, they're, they have greater heroism gas on them. <laughs> anyway, anyway. Um, and then, uh, and then, uh, Hesnix Nor, uh, has asked the question, uh, is there anything you wish you'd done differently? I wish that I would have tailed the, uh, um, Queen's Physicians. Yeah. I have characters who are built for stealth, you know, not everybody, but, you know, Ophelia could have gone in Siren Guys and, uh, uh, traced the queen's physicians and where they were going. Um, when uh, Blackjack pointed out that uh, the queen's physicians uh, tra- or, uh, patrols were where all the blood veil cases were showing up, I felt a little stupid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, damn it. Why didn't I trail them even once? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. If, if I had to do anything differently, uh, I, I think the one that I already talked about, which is uh, I would have made it more obvious that there was a hole that the ghouls were coming out of when you went to the Grey District so that you could see the thing that you needed to do. Because otherwise you're caught in this, you're caught in a kill box, right? Yeah. Uh, with no <laughs> apparent way out, right? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, my idea when prepping it was that I was like, you'll look around the wall, right? <laughs> Because me, me, uh, this, this sort of this sort of uh, gets into one of the blind spots that I have as a uh, when I'm doing map design and stuff like that, mm-hmm. which is when I look at a map uh, and I think about the the way you interact with that map, I think about it in the terms of how I would go through something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And one of the things that I do is I want to know my terrain yeah. as well as I possibly can before I engage in a conflict. Yeah. Sort of getting back into the uh, the Sun Tzu. Uh, art of war way of doing things which is yeah. there's an entire section in uh i mean the easy the easy one is the simple know that uh know the enemy uh-huh. um but there's actually like an entire fucking chapter of art of war yeah. that's dedicated to how to engage on different uh terrains yeah but the most important thing being that you need to assess the terrain and then find the best place to have yeah. the combat and then in the meantime um, i'm looking at all of my characters terrible climb check uh, yeah. rolls and yeah. going mm, I think if I try to climb this wall yeah. I will die <laughs> yeah. 
and, and so when I when I design these things, I'm I'm looking at it through the lens of how I would play, mm -hmm. which is I would want to explore the space as much as possible mm -hmm. and find a way around, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But when you're in combat, Pathfinder combat has a tendency to get locked into the same five foot square. Yeah, and I probably should have prepped better for that. It's it's all right. Yeah. Um, well, but that's yeah. what that's what I would have done differently. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, I'm trying to think of anything else I would have done differently. Um, other than that, I really like the way the yeah, book went. Yeah, I'm I'm really happy with how the um, book went too. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't I, I don't think there's anything else that I would have uh, done differently here. Yeah. 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 Um, there there's there's things in this in this adventure that don't go anywhere, but I don't I wouldn't have done them differently mm -hmm. because. The fact that they don't go anywhere uh, is is a fact of how tabletop RPGs work, right? Like, if I were writing it as a script, I would have cut those things. Yeah. Right? But um, we're not writing a script. We're, we're engaging in an ongoing story. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I like letting those things spiral out into nothing because mm -hmm. it gives you the closure. And it also means that we're playing this for real. Yeah. You know? Like, if, if, like, I could sit here and go... No, don't investigate that. It won't go anywhere. <laughs> and then you would go, I mean, one, I, I think, what would your response be if I told you that? You're like, what? But, I'm, but it's interesting. Yeah. Um, and I, I, you know, we've been in games where, where like we've had, you know, DMs who would, who would put up barriers saying, hey, there's nothing interesting this way. Yeah. Don't go over there. It's boring. Uh, and, and, uh, <laughs> and, you know, you know, me, I go, well, fuck you. I want to do it. <laughs> uh, and so I like I like having uh, the space where you can actually like explore mm -hmm. and you can fuck up and yeah. you can find nothing. Yeah. Uh, you can spend two hours uh, looking into a lead and then <laughs> come up with no answer. Uh, yeah. You know, I like I don't I also don't regret doing those things mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, I I regret that, you know, I didn't look into, you know, looking back that I didn't look into a lead that could have been like really fruitful, mm -hmm. but I didn't know at the time what was a fruitful lead and what yeah. wasn't. And I think one of the important things that I like to keep in mind is, you know, we're not in an hour long police procedural where at the, at the 40 minute mark, we'll find the damning evidence. And at the, <laughs> and at the end, everything will be resolved and we back to the status quo. Right. Yeah. Damn it. The loss of a, you never follow the rules, but you get results. Yeah. Um, but like, like I, I find that really important is that is that we don't know where this is going to end up going forward. I, I mean, I don't even know where this is going to end up going forward. Like I have books that tell me where it can go. Mm -hmm. Right. But we don't even always go those places. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, like you, you spent a lot of time investigating where the chests came from. Uh -huh. That is not really documented in the books, mm -hmm. right? Um, uh, the Three Rings Tavern, mm -hmm. the uh, the pawn shop, the Deathhead Vaults, uh, the Death uh, the Deathhead Vault. Actually, uh, fun fact: the Deathhead Vaults are documented in the books, but not here. Oh, so mm -hmm. look forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, they're they're controlled by the Gray Maidens, and I think at this point you can probably see that the Gray Maidens are bad news. Pretty fucking terrifying. But you're not meant to get that deep into the Deathhead Vault this time. <laughs> and so, but I think one of the important things is having that flexibility. Yeah. And, you know, being able to, like, when you say you want to go somewhere, you can go wherever the fuck you want in here. Right? Yeah. If you try to leave Corvosa, I might try to convince you <laughs> that it's a good idea to stay. I don't want to play Curse of the Crimson Throne anymore. It's Let's actually, go to Kermaga. There's actually a whole the whole thread on the Paizo forums. 
about convincing people to stay in Corvosa. And I'm just like, I'm just like, and there, there, there's all this talk about these, these uh, groups that start playing Curse. They get to Gadrian Lamb, and because all their backstories are tied into Gadrian Lamb, after defeating him, they just fucking leave. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, you mean the you mean Corvosa's dying from a plague? Time to ollie out of here. Time to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah, uh, which is also why um, you know I, I had a, a bit of a conversation with you about making sure that you're invested in the city itself. Yeah, yeah. Beforehand. Yeah. Um, because yeah, all the all the campaign traits are tied to kill him in the first adventure. Um, yeah, I mean, you did do some work to um, move, you know, move that forward, uh, and at least some characters' stories to, like, Rolf Lamb, or to um, Devargo Barvasi, or, you know, other people who were still in the story. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that helped. Uh, but also, like, a lot of the characters I have here, you know, have lives in Corvosa. They mm -hmm. have people they care about who are here. Uh, you know, Lenore has the life that she built with Edgar. Damien has his brother. Uh, mm -hmm. Siren uh, doesn't have anybody in the city except the friends. That, er, she doesn't have anybody anywhere except the friends that she's made in this city. Yeah. Um, and Yunia same <laughs> yeah uh and um yeah uh i i i i'm pretty happy with how uh the game has gone yeah uh, yeah uh last question uh comes in from uh ruvavivu Krarloth. ruvavivu who asks what's your favorite new to book two npc you're gonna hate me for saying this what Devalis. yeah Devalis. <laughs> i mean like Look, look, he's I, I think at this point we 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 all know. We fucking love we fucking love that bastard. Yeah, uh, he's he's the worst and he's terrible and we hate him. We he, hate him so much. And I love him because he inhabits all these things that we hate. Yeah. You yeah. Know? He's, he's a he's great a, punching. He's back. a really, really good villain. Yeah. Um and uh you go from being like, oh, this guy's eccentric, but we can trust him. He's like the one person we have actually mm -hmm. helping us find out what's what is causing blood veil and how to cure it, uh, yeah. to going, you bastard, I wish I had never met you. Yeah. I want you dead. Uh I, I don't want the people you work with. I want dead. the people you work with dead. Uh I want anybody who ever gave you ideas dead. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's 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 such a great uh it's such a great arc. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's such a good reveal. Mm -hmm. And uh, I loved the um, the <laughs> the speeches that you did. That's oh, just God. like, listen up, kiddos. <laughs> the one with the clapping emojis. Corvos is already I, dead. I, I, I showed you. I showed you my notes, right? Yes. I, I did actually put in clap emojis <laughs> in the middle of it uh, because I was like, he needs to talk like the type of person that puts clap emojis <laughs> in their texts. Uh, <laughs> Like it, it's he's like I'm sitting here like seething with rage, yes, and laughing, yeah. <laughs> and, and there's something that's just really, really, really captures the breadth and the depth of human experience, yeah. In your dealings with Doctor Wallace, yeah. I think it's very good. Um, yeah. Uh, I like Majenko. Majinko is really good. I really like. Majinko. He's really good. I guess he's not. Majinko's not really new to book two, but though, he's is he? not. But like, we didn't. We saw him in book, in book one. one. We saw him in book we one. Saw him but, an we really, he but we didn't really meet him yeah. in book one. Um, I love Majinko. Uh, yeah. 
I like Majinko. Majinko's Majinko's um, a good friend. I'm trying to think of anybody else who's new to book two that I really, really like. Brianna. Brianna is so sweet. She's so cute. Oh, she's when she's adorable. when she's showing Kester how to paint watercolors. Oh, oh God, my yes. heart. Uh um Taste is also nice. Taste her is mom. Also very nice. Uh um Growl's a piece of shit. Growl's a piece of shit. He can fuck off. He can uh, kick rocks. You know, um, Growl, Growl is, um, speaking of characters I fucking hate, Growl Soldado. <laughs> he's from book one, uh, though. He's from book one. Um, but Growl is, Growl is like an embodiment <laughs> of all these elements of toxic masculinity that like, um, I, I think it's, I think it's uh, really telling when he comes to ask you for help. He goes, I'm sorry. When I was drunk that time, I was probably a real asshole. But then you fucking deal with him completely stone cold sober, and the guy is such a dick, right? Like, like he's he's willing to he's willing to, uh, on principle, let his niece die because he because, doesn't want to pay money. He doesn't want to pay money for it, right? Like he's really a piece of shit. Yeah, like he's 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 really awful. Uh, <laughs> fuck girl soldado. Fuck him. <laughs> Um, like, like, uh, he, it, Duvalis is a terrible, utterly reprehensible person, uh-huh. but Grau's a shithead. And you know what the worst part about Grau Soldado is? Is that he still succeeds. Uh. You know, like, um, there's some stuff happening in book three. <laughs> I can't talk about it now, but Grau is still fucking there. You know? Yeah. Like, he's still there. He still gets to go to work. He still gets to do his job, but he's a shit. <laughs> He's a real shit, isn't he? Uh, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> oh gosh. Like But, um, but Brianna, adorable, Brianna's perfect, adorable. beautiful. Uh has none of her uncle's traits. No. I also like Ramos Garakmino. <laughs> Oh, also like what? I, I said I also like Ramos Karakminos. Oh yeah, yeah, he's pretty neat. Not my favorite though. He's he's a it, he's got he's got he's some got a lot going stuff on. going on. Yeah. yeah. Stuff that I'm not even aware of. Yeah. It's funny. I uh, I went to back to uh, so uh, Sirenscape actually has recorded voice lines <laughs> for a lot of characters, <laughs> and uh, I was going back through um, through the book two stuff because uh, I like to share with Daph yes. some of the some of the voice oh acting God. performances. Yes, the fucking I, I clicked one button <laughs> and it led to this performance in which Ramoska Arkminos dumps his entire fucking backstory. <laughs> And I'm just sitting here like, why would you tell anybody that? <laughs> At last, people who I can dump to. I've been waiting to see you for months. <laughs> so also gets a little bit into like the way that I play NPCs is I tend to play NPCs uh, in much the way that I think it would be like to really a- interact with these people. Mm-hmm. I don't tend to do like Mass Effect lore dumps where you can pre- choose the choose one option and get everything they know about a certain subject. Quick, somebody romance Ramos Garakminos. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, like, like, they're they're only going to talk to you about things that they would feel comfortable having a conversation about. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. It's uh, yeah. um. That's all of, the questions. A lot of good characters in book two. A lot of. Awful characters in book two. A lot of awful characters. A lot of two. characters we love to hate and in book two. There's going to be a lot of great and awful characters in book three as well. Yeah. Um. I. Uh. We are going to be releasing book three pretty soon here. Mm-hmm. Uh. Thank you all uh, for joining us on this. Mm-hmm. Um. Before we go here, uh, I'm really excited about book three. 
Yeah. And uh, I and I hope all of you are excited about book three. But in case you need some motivation, <laughs> we are going to be having our first ever giveaway. <laughs> and uh, you'll hear about it here first. Uh, and then a post is going to be going up on our Twitter. So if you're listening to this episode, stay tuned to our Twitter because the post is going up soon. Or it might already be up and you have a limited time to act. Hurry. Yes. Uh, there'll be details on how much time is available to you on the post. But what we are doing is we are going to be giving away three coins uh, from the city of Corvosa. Three genuine golden crowns. No, these are these are these are one hundred percent pure electrum leaf. Oh, <laughs> um, the so I always pictured Corvosan <laughs> coins as being made of wood with a veneer of the whatever metal. Yep. So these are these are coins that we actually uh, picked up from campaign coins. Uh, they're not sponsoring this. They're they're not uh, giving them to us. We bought these coins, uh, but when we bought them, we bought enough that we could share. Mm -hmm. uh, and so what we're going to be doing is we're going to be giving away three coins. These are these are uh, gold coins uh, that have uh, Ilios's face on the front uh, and uh, a lovely piece of headwear that you're going to be very familiar with in book three on the back. Ah, uh, Daph's already familiar with it because it's basically what everything, what everybody's talking about—the <laughs> <laughs> hot new thing yes. on everyone's. And so minds. we are giving away three of these coins uh, to enter the contest. You must be following us on Twitter to enter. It's very simple. You can get one entry by either liking or retweeting the contest announcement post. Um, uh, if you do both, your name will be entered into the drawing twice. If you've been entered twice, you have liked it and you have retweeted, but you still want a better chance of winning a coin, you can get a third entry by DMing us a theory about what's going on with the 13th guys of Aradon. <laughs> Three people will be chosen via random number generator. Basically, we will take all of the entries that we have, total them, and roll a random number from the maximum number that is available. And whoever we pick uh, will get a coin. Do you have to be a follower? You have to be a follower. You have to be following when you uh, like the post. You have to be following when we do the drawing. If we roll your name and you're not following us on Twitter, I'm sorry, we're going to re-roll and get somebody else. Uh, you know, you can recommend it to your friends. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have a great way to document uh, recommendations. So if you want your friends to get a coin, recommend them to this to this contest. Uh, but we will be drawing three names and we'll be sending out three coins. Uh, please only and en only enter the drawing if you are interested in uh, receiving a coin. If you are not interested in receiving the coin, feel free to quote tweet or reply uh, to spread the word. Um, and but uh, we will be shipping these. Uh, due to logistics things, we will only be shipping them to the uh, to the United States. We might look into Canada uh, if it's like one person who's in Canada. We probably can't do all three to Canada. Sorry. Um, but uh, uh, if you're in the United States, uh, we will be sending you a coin. If you win. <laughs> so like the post, retweet the post uh, and be follow sure to follow Twitter. us on Twitter. Yes. And we Good will luck. see you in book three. Of curse. of curse of, of the, the crimson, crimson throne. throne.